This show is sponsored by the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. If you're new to Bitcoin, you need to be taking self-custody of your coins. Full stop. Do not leave that shit on exchanges. That's not how you Bitcoin. The Bitbox O2 is a really easy way to get familiar with self-custody. The user interface is great. It's a very simple device to use. So again, if you're new to the game, this is a great first step at taking self-custody. Of course, if you've been in the game for a while and you're improving your self-custody solution, then it's a great option to have in the mix. Uh, for example, if you're using multi-signature signature solutions and you want to use a couple different hard, uh, hardware devices, it has a lot of great features that allows you to do that. Um, and it's just a great product. I've really been enjoying using it. So if you'd like to learn more about it uh, and potentially pick one up, Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire for 5% off. Also, this show is sponsored by the amazing people over at Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, doing so with Bull Bitcoin is absolutely the most private way to do so. It's a non custodial exchange, which means they don't hold on to Bitcoin, they don't hold on to your Bitcoin. You provide them with an address to go right to self custody after you make your purchase, which is not a common feature uh, in the Bitcoin exchange market, but definitely one that I think serves uh, the customer and the buyer the best. In this way, you don't risk leaving your coins on exchange. Remember, not your keys, not your coins for them to be lost or stolen or otherwise mistreated. Right. You get to take them into your self custody right away. And that's the best way to do it. This is the type of company that really thinks about what's best for its customers and tries to provide it in a very easy and convenient way for them. So if you'd like to learn more, go to bullbitcoin.com and check them out. Finally, this show is sponsored by the Bitcoin 2022 conference by Bitcoin Magazine. If you were at the 2021 conference, you know how incredible it was. And I probably don't have to sell you on how awesome 2022 is going to be. I had a phenomenal time. It was the first uh, chance I got to meet a lot of the people that I'd been interacting with on the show and on Twitter over the preceding 18 months or so, and uh, or maybe a bit longer, actually. And it was incredible. You know, lots of hugs, lots of hanging out, uh, lots of just connecting with other people that understand what's going on here and are part of this revolution and, and building relationships with those people. And then there was all sorts of great speakers, great satellite events a ton of dinners and parties and so many options to just hang out and talk and and uh, you know have a good time with uh, with other bitcoiners so it it looks like this uh, next year's event it's happening in april it's going to be enormous i think their capacity is 35,000 people and for the one in 2021 it was 13,000 people so Clearly, they're going bigger and they're expecting, uh, you know, a bigger crowd. It's right on Miami Beach this time at the Miami, Miami Beach Convention Center. It's going to be lit uh, and I'm definitely going to be there. So if you want to get tickets, there's a number, there's a bunch of different tiers. Um, but at checkout, whichever ticket you ultimately choose, put the code rapid fire, all one word, and you'll get 10% off. Let's do it. Boom. We're live. Laser Hoddle, welcome. It's an honor and a pleasure to get the chance to speak with you finally. Likewise, it's it's I'm a big fan of your show. Love love the signal that you're putting out there. So it's a, a huge pleasure to come on and have this conversation. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> there's obviously so much to talk about. I'm I'm not sure where to start. So I might even hand it over to you. What's 
you know, I've got a lot that I do want to bounce off you through the course of this conversation, but is there something in particular that's been on your mind as of late? I know you've been doing a lot of conversations on some other pods and, you know, that's all been very interesting. I think I've listened to them all. What's, uh, you know, based on where we are at today, what's, what's top of mind for you? Well, I mean, look, my, my purpose, my intent, my mission is to help people break the fear spell of this whole, um, uh, the last two years and what I expect will be the next eight years. Um, zoom out and understand that what we're actually experiencing is the defaulting in the largest way that's ever occurred and not uh, COVID and not a cyber pandemic and not um, a climate catastrophe and not a crisis of racism and not um, uh, a new wave of terrorism, right? All of these things are, um, they're Trojan horses um, that are keeping you distracted so that uh, the, the world monetary order can be reset. And so my story is in, um, when COVID started in April, 2020, um, I remember the images coming out of Wuhan. I remember how canned they look. Um, and I, I had a twinge of suspicion. Um, and over the coming weeks, I started to realize that um, what we were seeing was basically uh, they, they had in, in, in 2009, we had the housing crisis and they had managed to kick the can this far down the road, but they weren't going to be able to kick the can any further. And so COVID looked a lot like a cover um, for default. And I tweeted in June 2020 that um, that, you know, if you know the whole thing's coming down, what you need to do is execute a controlled demolition so that you can rotate the world out of the old monetary order and into the new monetary order. And that's what I expected to see from central banks. Um, fast forward all the way to now where you have Christine Lagarde <laughs> saying that everyone needs to get vaccinated. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, it's been um, surreal watching this play out. Um, it's been scary to a certain degree. And um, I, I felt a kind of calling to come help people contextualize what we're seeing so that they can opt out at every layer um, so that they can put their family in a better uh, place. Because yeah, we can't fight these waves, to be honest. We, we can't stop what's happening. We can learn to surf. We can put ourselves in a, uh, in a better position and we can hopefully deliver individual sovereignty through this monetary reset um, and allow Bitcoin to do the hard work of unwinding um, uh, the, the seniorage of, of money printing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us you know, those of us who were paying attention <clears throat> probably at least shared the suspicion that an event like this and perhaps events prior to this were, you know, either directly caused by or facilitated for some reason to obfuscate, uh, you know, the, the issues that were happening in the monetary system, perhaps, you know, and I, because there's, there's no certainty, right? We can't know for sure the motivations, the incentives, the you know, the different parties or people that uh, contribute to events, really, generally. 
but it, it seems mighty mighty convenient that <clears throat> we were kind of all obviously as bitcoiners uh participating in a monetary transition and an anticipating a monetary change if you know if to put it far too simply and just saying like fiat currency is going to uh you know unravel uh and then we have you know this circumstance that creates a a very convenient mechanism for transitioning to um another monetary system while adequately removing responsibility from those who might genuine you know who who might be responsible for the control and degradation and unraveling of the existing system yep yeah exactly when i say monetary reset this tends to confuse people because they get the images of like Bretton woods and a negotiation you know uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, the governance academics of nation states and, 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 and how they see organizing uh, the next uh, uh, chapter of society. And it's, well, well that's true. That's a type of monetary reset. But um, uh, I, I think a, a better way to frame this in your mind is that, um, so, so governments are, are like large companies and they have balance sheets and they have cash flows and GDP and um, the, the current system is, is, has been kept alive on life support and uh, they've employed every trick uh, in the book and they're basically in a corner and they know um, that it's coming down and they know that the solution to this, if they wanted to keep the fiat experiment going is something that looks like, um, well, uh, central control and powers beyond what we've ever seen. And they know that society will not orderly uh, give up uh, what they had and go into this new system. And so, um, and, and, nor, and, and they would be in a terrible place if they allowed it all to collapse and they go, you know, how about you join this? So, so you know, countries need a way to um, rotate out of their old balance sheet into a new one. And they all have that need all at this one moment. And so typically countries compete, right? They're, they're competitive enterprises, but right now their incentives are aligned. And I think that explains why you're seeing what looks a lot like coordination, collaboration, um, because they all have the same need to rotate out of their, um, their unworkable balance sheets into something new um, rotate their societies, their people into the next chapter of, of, of what we will all live through together, um, the next narrative, uh, the next storyline of the world. Yeah, I agree. And, <clears throat> um, you know, money is very much like a, it's a distributed mechanism of coordination, right? And so it makes total sense because the, the realm of conspiracy is just fraught with uncertainty, right? So there's almost no point in identifying individual actors. I know in some cases, you know, we could have a higher probability of being confident in, you know, a, a applying some, uh, you know, blame or agency to certain entities or groups or, or people. But if we just, the general premise of money being a distributed mechanism for social and economic coordination, right? And so... Yep. When that mechanism breaks down, and I would say the primary mechanism, when that mechanism breaks down, 
the number two in that hierarchy of, of coordination, let's say, has to step up to the plate, right? Has to fill that the void left by that coordinating capacity being diminished. And I would probably say, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, that centralized government control, the monopoly on violence, you know, centralized governments, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to it, that's at number two, at least that's the perception in, in people's minds. And so when one is relatively diminished, the other has to come up. But of course, the difference in application is that one is creates order via the emergent behavior of all the participants that use that mechanism of coordination, whereas the latter is a single source of, of coordination that becomes imposed on everyone downstream of it. And so as I think we probably share this perspective, one, a lot of the people that are wrapped up in the ladder, they don't appreciate the difference between the two. You know, they're just responding through their own incentives and their own conditioning and their own stories. Um, but nevertheless, the, the felt sense of the attempt to coordinate by the ladder is, because it's an imposition, is a felt sense of um, imposition, tyranny, authoritarianism, coerced behavior by the people who are subject to it because it's basically the antithesis of emergent order, right? It's, it's, it's centralized imposed order. And so this is what I, I try to stress this with people you know, close to me that I talk to because you lose everyone any, every time you invoke any kind of they, any sort of conspiracy, again, however justified it may be. But if you take it from the angle of all we're dealing with here are mechanisms of coordination, communication, exchange, et cetera, uh, then all that matters is how the, the relative dominance of each of those mechanisms and what the effects are of one in particular becoming more dominant, either out of necessity or out of a, a particular, um, you know, objective from a, a given party. And so, you know, and I think that's an easier case to make that like, and it's basically the case you're making saying, look, for whatever reason, the, 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 em, the emergent order that comes from the coordinating mechanism that is a money, you know, has been impaired since the fiat standard, you know, 50 years ago, let's say, but we're way at the end of, of that impairment. And as a result, the breakdown is increasingly evident and the breakdown is felt as increasing imposition on freedoms, on liberty, coerced behavior, centralized control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for that reason, if we believe that the that that is true and the monetary unravel is going to continue, we should not expect a reversion of any of those um, sensations or circumstances of being imposed upon because it's a very natural outcome of a different source of coordination and order having to be imposed on a market or on a you know society. Yeah, so we, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, so, so, so we're, we go about our lives doing voluntary commerce and our individual aim is to produce value for the world, store that value um, in something that, that holds it so that we can trade it uh, when we need it. We can trade it for different types of value. And so, you know, I could, I could learn a skill. I can do something that helps the world. I can retire. I can send my kids to school on and on. And, and, but here we are at monetary reset and you feel this interventionalist force coming into your life. Everyone feels it. And it's like, Oh, Hey buddy, you know, I'm just trying to 
um, do that human thing where I'm out there interacting with all these network participants, producing value, living my life. Why is this interventionalist force showing up? And um, well, it's largely because we we believe that we're interacting um, in a neutral money. Most people do. Most people, they don't think about money too much. They're like, okay, I use this money and, and uh, this is kind of how I navigate life. Um, but what you don't realize is the money itself is a form of intervention. Fiat, at least, is a form of intervention. And, and at that second tier where you have um, uh, governance, um, uh, at least in, in today's form, is the interventionalist. And um, part of what's happening is their intervention, the actual uh, printing of money to smooth out uh, these, these uh, short cycles, you know, so we get bailouts and we get um, different forms of intervention. They're trying to smooth that out because in their mind, I mean, I'll, I'll give, I'll try and play devil's advocate against my own position. They want to provide the type of orderly society that allows you to live your life, right? So, okay, we need to smooth out this, these, these little booms and busts, but there's a bigger boom and bust in the long cycle where um, those tricks won't work anymore. And the balance sheet basically becomes in a state of disrepair. Um, and, and so they, they, they have to introduce a bigger intervention, one that we all feel because the alternative is um, emergent chaos. It's, it's absolute chaos because, um, well, everyone kind of realizes that, that your country is broke, right? So when you, when you all kind of realize like, oh my gosh, our country is broke and, and to what degree uh, were we relying on them for confidence in our day-to-day -day life, right? We all kind of knew in the back of my mind, oh, they backstopped all of this stuff <laughs> and you realize that that they can't and, and they can't and, and and so um i think that explains the you know you go from small intervention where people you know they you know occupy wall street you get annoyed you go hey why are we bailing out all these people right and it's like okay well that that that's a vulnerability to the system we have to intervene we have to uh, create money and, and and smooth that out because that's the whole reason you can live your life right you have this orderly uh, life but then you know now we're feeling the big intervention and um it's it's an intervention that's happening uh, across the west and in the east and um and, and so yeah i don't think it's 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 not very good to cast this as a as a they per se. I mean, certainly it's not a cabal in the way that people sort of imply there's a like a theistic, um, religious, uh, you know, good evil element. I I don't think that that's very useful. Um, but it is a system of incentives, right? You have the individuals who um, who, who are participants. And then you have the governance individuals who are interventionalists. And within the category of interventionalists, um, they are the ones that um, run and operate the monopoly on money, either through influence in the, in the form of like cronyism or directly, you know, they're actually uh, at the helm. And um, that, that category, the incentives create a top. And so um, there, there actually is a they in the sense that there's there's a you know there's a um, a community of of um, uh, 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 folks that have the largest amount of influence given the incentives that they reign over, um, but it's not the they in 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 the way that people think about it. Like it's like this cabal around a table. Honestly, it's closer to something like a, a cartel 
um, which is to say a, a set of, um, a set of uh, businessmen that operate countries as if they were um, line items in a portfolio, and they drive the, the top order incentives of that business um, with shared interests. So they drive it in a way that it sometimes looks like they're competing, but it sometimes looks like they're uh, coordinating. And, and so it's funny because both is true. Um, there's no cabal, there's no they, we allowed, you know, we demanded, we, we uh, birthed this form of government that we're all living in. We did it, right? The, the people created it, right? It exists because we allowed and wanted or thought or, or were allowed ourselves to be led into it, what have you. So the ownership belongs on every individual. Um, and so there's no they in that sense. And it's not some, um, uh, it's not some boardroom of, of demons that are trying to capture our soul. I don't, I don't think that that explains it well uh, enough. I think so it's a we thing, but at the same time, the incentive structure creates an upper echelon. It creates a top uh, within the the players that actually um, that actually exert control over the incentives themselves. Yeah, I think that's very well put. And you know, I've often thought that because you know, many of us, perhaps you know, at various points in our life, have have explored at least or considered the various conspiracies that are on offer. And I would never be so arrogant to suggest that, you know, as you say, they don't exist because it, it, they are more just like concentrations of aligned incentives. And, yes. you know, anyone, anyone who has differ, differing incentives than you, are cons they are conspiring against your incentives by definition, right? So like if, if you and I are competing on something, right? Like my incentives have their, their locus or, or focus on my benefit within a certain domain, yours on yours. If we're competing for you know, limited value, limited goods, resources, et cetera, then I'm conspiring against you in order for, to benefit me. And on an individual basis, like that's really normal. When you get, and I think this is largely perverted by the monetary spigot and how that in itself is centralized and controlled, and then everything downstream of it. But the punchline is, is like you get these mat hugely powerful centralized entities yes. with, with concentrated incentives that in many cases may be counter to the incentives of other far larger factions downstream of it. And so it seems conspiratorial because it is. But you know, we may we we probably in our frustration with that, uh Dra dramatize the nature of uh, that cent those centralized incentives and the people who are playing to them more so yes, than perhaps is, is, is valid. Well, dr dramatization comes from a lack of understanding, right? Because you, you need to fill in gaps and you need to, it, it, and also the idea that you want it to be an evil cabal is, um, well, let me just say humans are prone to victimhood. So if they're not just normal people acting in their own interests, given their position, and they're actually evil and they're coming after you, that makes you a victim, mm. right? And so it makes sense that we would be prone to believe that this is some supernatural force coming at, uh, you know, coming at us. And not to den denigrate the idea that, that this has some layer of theism. I actually think it does. I think it has a very layer of theism, but merely to say there's a secular view in which um, in, in, in which basically there are folks at the helm, at, at the reins, 
who have uh, a control over some of society's most potent incentives. Um, and, and they task themselves with um, the caretaking and steering of the orderliness of society. And, 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 and they don't view, I don't imagine they view that as a evil. I imagine they themselves view it as some good or necessity, some needed thing. And um, you, you, so, so you could say like, okay, um, you know, incentives must create a they. It must create, um, you can't have, it, it's not flat. It's not flat. That's not how the world actually works. You have incentives, and you have different. You you have a um, you you have a, a power hierarchy, and at the top of the power, the, the the mechanisms you have are are stronger, and at the bottom of the hierarchy, right? And so there has to be a they. It's just not the they that people imagine. And it, it, the word um, the the word conspiracy is a great. Um, word because what it does is it is it takes something that is actually secular planners people who steer people who think about governance people who think about cycles and it turns it into this um, this uh, inflammatory word that's outside of the Overton window so if you start saying oh it's a conspiracy this it's a conspiracy that well, well so, so now all of a sudden you're, you're painting yourself as politically untenable, right? I can no longer interact with your thesis because it's, it's this um, inflammatory sort of dramatic, like you said, thing. And, and, and so I, I don't think the word conspiracy is very useful anymore. It's, it's been kind of um, deteriorated by this uh, political gamesmanship. Um, it's, it's more accurate to say um, there are planners there are folks that steer the narratives of society in order to provide orderliness, right? And they really view it as a necessity um, and, and that they are in that position. It's a responsibility, um, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And, you know, going back to what you said uh, a little bit before, where uh, there's, there's two components that I think are interesting there that's going to lead into um, a, a perhaps larger component. But in this system, it's so much about, well, it's so faith-based in the way that the reason, you know, the, the reason why all of this intervention occurs, let's say the bailouts and the money printing and all that kind of stuff, is to maintain faith in the integrity of the system, because that is the primary thing propping it up, right? So absence yes. true economic like let's just say you know simply say like the emergence the, the natural emergence of an economic a free market chosen form of money right absent that mechanism for holding up the faith in the system as it were we have a completely faith-based system so it necessitates intervention in yes, order you need to the government you need the government theater in order right. to transition between areas of low faith Right, exactly. And, and, and so you, as, as the real unavoidable economic consequences of any economic system continue to emerge or impinge upon, you know, the system that's being artificially propped up, then the intervention in order to maintain the faith in the story, more and more of that is required. And yes, so you, you, you mentioned, you know, the the, you, you said like they task themselves with this function and like, yes, on a, on a, 
mechanistic level, you could say, well, that makes sense. They need to, but on a higher level, I, and I think this is where this ties in with faith. Faith is first, they're, they're actively managing a faith-based system because it's not constructed on, on fundamental economic principles, what I would call like more real principles. But I also think there's an element, like I, I, I get a huge, I perceive a large degree of narcissism in the people that assume those roles in our modern culture and society, right? Yep. I don't think so, it's, so, it, it's very, if, just, if you, let, let me get this, this, this one thing off and then I'll hand it over to you. I, I don't think it's, you know, they're obviously not aware of it in, in large part, but I think part of the reason for that narcissism is because the role of the traditional face, let's say like the religious face has been so diminished and disregarded in our world today. And there are valid reasons for critiquing it. But the, the punchline, or as far as this particular analysis is concerned, the, a, a truth or a system of order higher than oneself is in effect a, a mechanism of instilling humility on an individual. And if that is, is done away with, and you know, not only just done away with, but like so arrogantly discarded, then I think you leave the door open for far greater expression of narcissism. And as it would happen, you know, I think you could call the fiat culture that we often refer to as like, you know, a, a hallmark of that is definitely dramatically amplified narcissism. And that's found its way into these systems. And as a result, these people are, don't even question the notion of whether or not tasking themselves with managing such a complex thing is even right or just or, or good. Or possible. Or possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's funny that we, we taught, we said government drama and, and they need that to manage through low faith um, uh, in between places, secular kind of uh, moments that they manage through it. And it's funny. It reminds me a little bit of the shtick that we see the, the federal uh, reserve do where um a lot of their job is is basically creating a sense of confidence signaling um signaling to the market hey you know we got this keep the faith should stay high and how much of it is actual actions a lot of it is signaling um it, a lot of it is the act of of of, of drone pal getting in front of people uh, doing a spiel and people reacting to that and you know it's it's um you could say that the Federal Reserve is a, um, it's a monolith that's pretending to be decentralized, right? So it's, it's this, it's, it's, there is really no separation between the government and the Federal Reserve. It's, it's the, the money gets printed when the state wants it printed, sure. but, but the Federal Reserve is the separate institution. And even they pretend to be this um, network of nodes that are um, not controlled, right? So they're like, oh, we have these different locations and it all rolls up through, through balanced power into uh, the Federal Reserve. And then you have the, you know, the act of Trump Powell who's, who's doing the dance in front of investors. And that's all a faith game, an interventionalist faith game. And, and um, you could zoom out even, you could zoom out and say that that, um, that is very similar to what uh, uh, governments do in terms of the long cycle, um, it's it's 
basically they, they need to create the the appearance of orderliness um and uh then they have they need to and you, you could even say that um to a certain degree uh countries themselves are um line items uh on a, on central banking's uh uh balance sheet their 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 experiment governance experiments and and um you might even say that uh they're learning uh how to you know i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and say create order for the world and uh, they run these experiments in these long cycles and um, they learn a bunch and as the long cycle inevitably comes crushing down the bubbles pop the gravity takes hold uh, they carefully collapse the long cycle and they take their learnings and launch the next narrative for the next long cycle and you might say that that is the book of business that the book of business for central banks is to harvest society's sacrifice um, but also that in, in order to be able to keep doing that you have to steer society um, you need to keep expanding so it's a it's a kind of an imperialism um, because the money printing um, time theft that actually needs to be hidden behind growth so you have a constant need for growth because if you don't have the growth um, the fiat experiment ends right so it could be it could be 1971 to to 2030, that could be it, right? But th they don't want that to be it, they want it to keep going. And so they need a bunch of new growth stories, imaginary problems uh, that they're going to solve with your family's life savings, right? Um, and, and so you take that framing and it, it starts to make sense how you would get these, um, this plethora of NGOs and, and, and think tanks that come out with narratives for the next monetary order. And so, your Klaus Schwab and Davos, it seems to be at the, um, it seems to be one of the, the leading ones and, and they come out with this great reset narrative and it has all these catastrophes that we're faced with as a species that we must, um, you know, sort of shelter in place, make it through this tough spot with COVID, but we're gonna immediately move on to these other mammoth problems that the world needs to solve together uh, with our family's life savings, um, climate, uh, um, racism, um, uh, uh, cyber. Um, uh, it, it seems like they might be queuing up some alien thing for a couple decades from now. Um, but they all have the same shape, and, and and so it's funny. It's it's we see this interventionist order in the small places with our own federal the central banks, but but we also see it in the context of the long cycle, where um, it, you know. And of course, and of course, there it's coming from. Of course, there's a source, right? You can't have, you know, in a complex system, you can't have this much mimicry, this much collaboration without a source. Um, you can't control a complex system, but you can create feedback loops. You can create feedback loops, and that could that might be the best that you can do uh, to control. Uh, uh, and so, my my best take on this is that um, the monopoly on money sits above the monopoly on force um, and that they those two monopolies have been married for about 400 years um, and it looks a lot like what they want to do with this next chapter is fold in another partner and that is um, tech big tech so you get a monopoly on money a monopoly on force and then a monopoly on um, tech um, that seems to be the move here. 
and um and of course as as a as a people as just you know that that first tier participants that live their life using money to do voluntary commerce we wouldn't allow the state to grow this you know to allow these central powers grow beyond um, imagination beyond what we've ever seen um, without a very good drama drama right we need that story why why and 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 so i think you know you you might say well you can't have the central bankers you know instructing the world directly you it, it makes a lot of sense that they would um, hatch dozens and dozens of NGOs and think tanks in order to push this into the think space, to push this into the ears of politicians, these problems that we need to come together to solve as a world that we can't, you know, like it's, it's much bigger than a nation state. All these things seem to push us into globalization, right? All these problems, um, they're too big for one nation state or they affect us all, right? And, and so, um, I, I, as, as much as um, the idea that it's a conspiracy that that pushes you outside of the Overton window, as much as the idea that, um, well, this is a complex system, no one can simply control it all, but you can create feedback loops. And, and there is a power hierarchy there. At the top, there is people who control the, the, the largest incentives um, of society, and they see the fiat experiment is either ending or it's going to be reset. And, 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 and I think, and, and I think that, that that context is so important to understand because, um, well, you can treat it as a lens and you can, uh, you can start viewing the events of the last two years and, and actually the next like eight years through it. Um, and man, that's been so helpful for me because, um, Oh, geez, I, you could even take like the Afghanistan thing and, and, and say, well, um, if this is the largest so sovereign default of all time and this is reset, then why would why would we disgrace um, uh, U.S. military might in the eyes of the international community? Right. Is that to de-emphasize dollar hegemony? And, and what what would replace that? Is it some is it some like um, more like a globalist West? backing bucket coming out of the IMF, like it, it allows you to think from that place. Um, okay, so why would the US um, suddenly start, you know, have this new military cooperation with the UK and Australia and France? Is it to de-emphasize uh, a global US military might, dollar hegemony, and replace it with kind of a cooperative globalist social scoring West? right, that is now going to together rise. And so you'll have kind of um, social scoring technocracy China on one side and social scoring technocracy West on the other side. Um, this, is, this is really key <laughs> to understanding because these things do fit together. And when you think about it through the eyes of money printing, through money, um, a narrative does emerge. Now, how accurate we are uh, you know, like you said, when we kick this call off, you can't know and you can't say um, you're very far away from you're very far away from the mechanisms that that allow this 
to occur, but we can see the empirical evidence. We can see what's happening on the ground floor and we can use that to feed it into a thesis and harden it or disprove it. Yeah, I agree. And the, the usefulness of, of frameworks like that, and, and I would say, and we probably will discuss a little bit, the, you know, the, a lot of us are familiar with the sovereign individual, right? And, and I think that book allows you to contextualize things through the use of a framework that's proven to be mm -hmm. uh, considerably, or, or yeah, proven to be effective at predicting things. And as a result of that, you, you place more emphasis or validity in the framework itself. And that those frameworks help you to interpret the chaos far better, right? Not be completely at the mercy of the inability to understand or know the genesis or the reasoning behind certain events, right? So you, you're able to rise above it to a certain degree and have a more macro level view. And, you know, my, I think about this all the time. Like I, I think everything has a rhythm, has a pattern, everything. I mean, like that's how the universe works. If you can't, and you know, maybe the, if you can't see it or perceive it, then move across scales, right? Move up a scale, move down a scale, right? So if you're down here on earth and you look up at the sky, what patterns do you see? If you zoom out, if you zoom out, what patterns do you see? Like there's always gonna be a pattern. And I think these frameworks allow you to, you know, they may not give you certain information in minute detail, but they allow you to see a pattern. And then they, they allow you to, with higher, with higher degree of uh, probability, determine the proper action to take in response to what seems to be happening. And, you know, again, to this idea of the failing coordination of the money necessitating the coordination of another kind by, via centralized systems of control, um, you know, the, the it, how should I put this? The, the sovereign individual thesis is simultaneously playing out, right? Because I don't, I don't think they, they didn't spend yeah. that much time on the money there, but let's think about it, right? Like people are more and more able to establish sovereignty in their life, right? They're able to derive yes. income that's not geographically determined. They're able to sequester their, their wealth in, in uh, ways that the centralized powers can't you know, don't know about them, can't access them, etc. So we have this confluence of, of macro trends, and I know you've discussed this a bunch, as have many others, that, you know, and maybe it's always like this, right? Maybe it's the, always this razor's edge, yin and yang, where like, there's this tremendous force for increasing the individual sovereignty and freedom of the individual. But because the system from which that's emerging out of was entirely predicated on the utility and declining utility of centralized structures, you know, because of, let's say, the Industrial Revolution and how society and culture and economies coalesced around that, will increasingly attempt to preserve itself, right? And so you've got this painful separation of those two things that were previously codependent, and now they, you know, they want to break up. And it's extremely messy because both of their livelihoods depend on being successful. Yes. Yeah, it's participants versus inter interventionalists, right? It's 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 families versus central planners. It's it's and 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 not in the in the cyclic sense. And, and it's it's almost like um, as society advances, we 
we spend 50 some odd years becoming highly centralized where the collective matters more than the individual. And that is actually what produces the pushback and the, the, the reversal of the pendulum swinging back towards decentralization. And it's not like we're staying in one place going from centralized to decentralized. We're advancing as a species, but the rhythm of it is um, it's, it's this oscillation between um, uh, uh, central planning collectivism and sort of dangerous freedom individualism, right? You have this oscillation, and but we, there is a destination. We are heading somewhere. I mean, uh, uh, Svetsky talks about this wonderfully in that um, for however much we, um, we uh, time we devote to criticizing the nature of central planning, um, money printing, it actually birthed uh, uh, Bitcoin. It birthed um, uh, our species discovering an energy money. And we could not have an era of individuality about to have without that. So it necessitated it. Um, and so it, it, was, it was the toil that, that enabled our species to stumble upon energy money. And that this is good because this actually eliminates the they, it puts it back on we. It says the species, the species had need of centralization at that chapter. And now we're, we're discarding the need of that as we've discovered energy money. Right. And so the 21 million Bitcoin question is how much do we resist that and at what cost, you know, collectively speaking? And the sovereign individual is awesome because it, it really, um, nailed the idea that um it's not through offense it's through defense like um asymmetric defense is 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 the best form of freedom an individual can hope to uh uh, uh establish it's, it's if you if you basically draw up the drawbridge in all places of your life and you you vote with your feet physically and digitally um and you you push your monetary energy into the structures that enable your sovereignty, you will create that world. You'll create that world and, and you will inspire others to join you. And if it's true that we are at this threshold where centralization cannot be tolerated by a certain group of people who are just ready for the next chapter that, uh, you know, uh, of individualism, then that will create a trend and that trend will be emergent and very powerful and and, they, you know, they didn't mention anything like an energy money. They didn't really touch on that too much in, in that book. But it's, it's um, well, man, well, it's, one, it's hard. One, one paragraph about like, you know, encryption, you know, related money. And I, I guess they didn't, they weren't, you know, they, they missed that point where, you know, if, it, if it's an encryption money, then that, you know, necessitates energy expenditure, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I guess we can forgive them because they were pretty damn spot on on a lot of others. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so they, they were focused a lot on the how like almost like the game theory un, unfolding right like okay assuming assuming uh th that it was time and there was a need and there were individuals that saw that this could be done how would it unfold and i think um there's a lot of there's a lot to that because even even with bitcoin it's like okay bitcoin solves the money but everything else is up to us right um, it, it's the solving the money isn't enough um, to realize a era of, of individualized freedom. It's, it's just not enough. It's, it's, it's vital. It's, it's critical. I, I can't, 
even imagine how we would do it without solving the money. But you need things, you need to think about things like, well, if you have unstoppable money, you know, can you get unstoppable communications? Can you get unstoppable food? Can you get unstoppable a tech in general? Can you, can you create unstoppable schools? Can you, you know, you would need a culture to emerge and like sort of an unstoppable society based on peace and individual responsibility. And that's going to require more than just solving the money, right? We have to kind of take the baton. Absolutely. And this is why I think about and talk about a lot, the individual transformations that this revolution is instigating or inspiring, but also necessitating, you know, because, and, and part of that is the emotional turmoil that I'm sure many of us are experiencing right now, right? You doom scroll on Twitter for a little while and you're like, yeah. the world is absolutely ending. And there is a lot of really fucked up things happening, obviously, but us figuring out the proper way to uh, calibrate our emotions to most effectively maneuver this environment is well, a journey and a task that we all have to take on. And it is of the utmost significance. And as a result of doing that, I think we're different people on the other side of this. You know, like, I, you know, I, I've, I said, uh, I think the last having, you know, I, I reflected on how much people had changed just over the course of the last one or two years, you know, and I kind of joked that by the next having, we're all going to be a bunch of like Neo Spartan Jedi philosopher King <laughs> savages or something, you know, because the, the times are going to require that refinement in us because it's also uncharted and it's also, um, of the up of the utmost significance right it's the, it's the greatest game to play so I, I like how you refer to um you know drawing up the drawbridge and our task is to like fortify defenses everywhere we can yes. and basically win the battle without firing a single shot as it were right like just starving the opponent of everything that they might get from us and, and keeping them at bay and i think you know that is super important it's why i tweeted out yesterday and i've been a laggard on this and i know you have some experience and competency here but what are the different ways that, that we can opt out because you know again there's this emotional the the frustration the impulse to fight fire with fire to like to push back and yes. i get it and you know and i feel it all the time but i there's a the greater part of me knows that that's probably the least effective strategy, at least at this point. I'm not saying it's never required, but like I want to exhaust all the means of, of opting out defensively and more effectively first, because that, you know, pushing back in any sort of a physical sense is obviously the absolutely last resort as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, someone mentioned in, in your tweet about having this chat, like, how do we regulate emotions during this unprecedented time of just complete chaos from, you know, seemingly complete chaos from every angle? I think having a broader macro framework helps yeah. to assuage some of those emotions because it brings some order to the chaos. And that's always helpful from an emotional perspective. But, you know, the, as you say, Bitcoin is amazing and it's going to become even more than it is. And it is the focal point of, of this change. 
but it seems like work will need to be done in, in all other areas to shore up those those defenses you know and as a result you know gain the greater stability and transform into that person that again because my last point on this is you said what we're not just there's a tendency and, and especially before the last 18 months like we kind of know what Bitcoin's going to do. We kind of know what it is, what it's going to become, how it's going to change things. But maybe occasionally the part where you're not going to get the Renaissance world unless you have the Renaissance people, right? That's what makes a culture. Right. That's what makes a world. Like you're not just going to sit on Twitter with your, you know, keep stacking and just like one day you're going to be scrolling and be like, oh my God, what a fantastical Renaissance 2.0 Bitcoin world we're in now. It's like, no, it comes through the transformation transformation of the actions and perspectives of each individual among whom you know and we are among them you know so that's yeah. one of the things that's been helpful for me just to realize like all this resistance all this emotional turmoil all this frustration it's the signal to me like you know i hate to use a kind of trite cliche term but like the obstacle is the way in that respect where it's like that's signaling to you that you need to transform to accommodate that resistance or that frustration and that's why this whole journey that we're on is like very much and for more reasons than just this a, a spiritual one as much as an economic or monetary or cultural one yeah the suffering is the is the the mechanism that pushes you towards growing towards becoming and and if you if you meet that suffering with courage and humility versus victimhood and anger is is the difference between whether you're sitting at home or you're becoming sort of the great uh, uh, becoming the great men that will need to become in order to produce the great houses that will need to merge in order for a renaissance to occur you know old um, great family lines used to exist and and that was uh, th that was in part a a consequence of um, hard money and 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 the way that societies were organized were less um, centralized. It relied on great families to actually be the example and provide the uh, productivity for society. And and I, I think we're going to get a swing back to that. So yeah. It, that needs to occur, and and so it's it's not enough for us to ship post. We need to become uh, 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 the strong men that will bring back uh, good times. And you know, I, I think part of the reason why society is so weak is that um, you know we do have voluntary commerce; it exists. So there is a hierarchy of productivity still that is, um, but it's it's being um, it's. That comes from being able to control the, the incentives of uh, society. And so I, I, I lost you there for a sec. Can you repeat that? Uh, probably comes from. Um, so so uh, we, we, ha we have a, a hierarchy of productivity because there's still voluntary commerce in the world and there's still entrepreneurs that create value. So that exists, um, but it's been overshadowed uh, by a hierarchy of uh, power and entitlement that comes from being at the reins of the incentives of society, the strongest incentives, money printing um, uh, and, and various governance incentives. And so um, what Bitcoin does is it basically 
uh, eliminate the hierarchy of power and entitlement and, and, and consolidate society into a single hierarchy of meritocracy and productivity. So, you, you know, if you produce value, um, you, you end up with security and flourishing. And if you don't, you perish. It's produce value or perish. That's sort of the worldview of, of, a hard, of an absolute hard money. Um, and the funny thing about that is all the Malthusian tales that all the Malthusian spells that uh, central planners tell us um, can actually be solved by a sufficiently hard money. And so, um, uh, so for example, like if overpopulation is, is real, then, then Bitcoin actually resolves it because um, uh, central planning is what allows um, the um, uh, you know, unproductive growth of the, the population or, or, or population growth of the unproductive, I should say. Um, if, yeah. if, if, if the climate is actually being spoiled, uh, Bitcoin would preserve it because um, if you don't preserve it, then you're, you're only disenfranchising your heirs. You're, you know, you're, you're hurting your future. You're hurting your house and you rely on that house because you can't rely on central planners. Um, so, so and, and if we're really too soft to endure like viruses, then Bitcoin would make us much tougher um, because again, you, there's, there's no central institution that's going to relieve you of your responsibility to be tough and, and, and live well in nature in order to um, uh, uh, honor your house and, and basically uh, continue um, staying competitive within the hierarchy of meritocracy that Bitcoin uh, forces on us. Um, if like racial justice is, is required and that's a huge crisis, then Bitcoin provides it because it provides an absolutely flat in terms of access uh, to mobility, in terms of access to voluntary commerce um, in a way where there's no sense, uh, central planners um, uh, uh, providing benefit or, um, uh, or, or uh, friction to any group of society. Um, and, 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 if, and if like overconsumption is really that gross, then Bitcoin corrects that because the, you know, the, the kind of desperate uh, hole that people have in their souls that comes from being forced to run on a fiat um, hamster wheel, where they're basically trying to fill that with soft goods and services as a, as a recompense for uh, you know the that, that desolation, um, well, Bitcoin replaces that with hard goods and hard services that you're very careful about acquiring because you're trading your family's sacrifice for. Um, so so you know, I think the the, the key evidence that all of these um, these uh, Malthusian crises that we're supposed to come together to solve um, and supposed to give central powers more so that they can solve them for us. Um, it, it, Bitcoin is proof that those things are all um, over-exaggerated. If there's some degree of truth, they're over-exaggerated and they're being used to rein in, rein in a lot of the excess of, of, of our species. Yeah, very well put. And I, I think in addition to the obvious um, you know, the obvious unintended consequences of this centralized intervention, which can account for much of these quote unquote problems, but also Bitcoin permits this pristine feedback system so that we're far more able to operate with the other people and our environment within a market or within an economy, because there's no distortion of the signal. 
So it, 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 it permits for a pristine communication of preferences and how those pre preferences change in real time to our environment. And that's, you know, fiat completely interrupts that by not having the direction and flows of resources and consumption predicated on pristine signals of preferences, but on, on the basically ideology or incentives of a centralized entity that imposes itself on all of that and skews it dramatically. You know, so their, their direct intervention is, you know, I would make the case very much to blame for the degree to which any of these issues are actually problems. And then of course, you know, in such a system as it is, someone says XYZ is a problem. I mean, like, okay, I mean, I, how do I refute that in such a dominant dynamic or such a dynamic complex marketing globe? And as you said, you know, like we were talking about how the sovereign individual, you know, puts increasing pressure on these centralized mechanisms of, of control and power and incentives to preserve themselves. What do you know that the, the what, what would be the best method of preserving yourself if, if you're that entity? And, and obviously problems that are difficult to define, difficult to prove global in nature are the absolute perfect mechanism to attempt to retain control if you find it dissipating, right? And, and this is the state we're in. And again, I don't even know if that's intentional by anybody. I mean, maybe it is, but like, it, it's just, it's the natural it's the, consequence of self-preservation of a system of that nature. It's also the source of despair and nihilism, right? Because what you feel that things are hopeless when you're being inundated with these, um, these stories about how the excesses of humanity is, is causing our demise. And, 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 you know, if Bitcoin replaces that with a hope that we can convert sort of this nihilistic excess into purposeful uh, proof of work. And um, so I think that that really is the basis of, of how to um, create this world that we're talking about and how to begin opting out of uh, the Great Reset, opting out of uh, the fiat experiment, opting out of the, the fear and trauma being induced by this government play in order to navigate us through the greatest sovereign default of all time. It's knowing that, um, that that Bitcoin replaces all of those things with hope. Mm -hmm. So let me shift gears a little bit because I've seen some comments you've made on Twitter around this subject and it's one that I've been thinking a lot about lately, uh, trying to get an article out hopefully this coming week or this week or maybe next week. But um, it is kind of the, the role of religion or faith or, or God in, in this discussion, right? Because we continue to bump up again. Once you, yeah, once you follow the path of many of these things forward, you, as I was saying earlier about how people have kind of replaced the idea of traditional religions and God with a faith in whatever else, call it, the political central system, planners. the monetary yeah. system, central plan, whatever. What what do you what's what's the role? What's the significance of that conversation in what's happening now? Well, I think. Um, look, I'm careful to have a secular thesis, and the reason I do that is because I want it to help the most families possible, um, people who are genuinely 
in a whirlwind of fear and pain and suffering because of the last two years. And I, I genuinely want to help them um, navigate the next eight years and beyond. And, and the thing that they can do to help me the most is act in their own interests by moving their family sacrifice into Bitcoin and then opting out of this at every layer. And so I have a genuine passion there. Um, and so I've made most of my thesis secular and also because I want it grounded in, in sound logic, right? I want to be able to test it with other intellectuals. I want to be able to beat on it and, and have this tangible um, uh, element that we, can, uh, that we can chew on. And so uh, I, I think it's important that any thesis about society, society is grounded um, in, in, in secular sort of empirical evidence, especially when, you know, the nature of what I'm suggesting is that uh, this is a monetary reset. They're restructuring uh, the monetary system of the world. And, and that explains um, all of the, the theatrics and um, all of the, um, the actual uh, 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 things we're going to. Now, that being said, um, so I'm, I'm a new Christian. Um, uh, Bitcoin helped me kind of, I think, um, helped me kind of, it, 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 it basically transformed my value such uh, my value system in in such a way that it led me um, to uh, to Christianity, um, which is uh, was surprising to me because I was a pretty ardent uh, atheist. I was uh, you know spent my whole career in software, surrounded by uh, progressives, and um, just literally at the source of progressive ideology. Um, and uh, so it was a um, out of body is the wrong word, but it was a it was a very um, uh, uh, bizarre and uh, hard to put my finger on experience of, of of having your value system completely transformed and then having that lead you to to God and and so um, have I looked at all this through the lens of theism? Um, yeah, absolutely, I do all the time. I, I think like. I, I like to say that there's like a theist conversation that comes after a secular thesis, um, because uh, you know if, if you're a theist and you believe in God and you think everything that we experience is is, is downstream of that, um, science itself, everything that you can observe and touch is downstream of of creation, then then of course you're going to do your best to use discernment to hone, you know. If that is true, then everything that you experience is a practice in um, in exercising and maturing your own discernment, right? Your ability to tie the, these physical experiences to your own um, atheism. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's there's strong uh, theist themes here. Um, you know, certainly in Christianity, um, uh, there the the story of ultimate centralization is the story of end of times. Um, when when uh, you when society basically gives up um, autonomy and individual autonomy and choice and, and and meaning, you're trading those things. You're trading them so that the state can ameliorate suffering um, and hardship. So you're saying, you know, I don't need these things God gave me. I don't need individual choice. Um, I don't. I don't need all the meaning that comes from tragedy and suffering. I don't want that. You, you trade those to some collective so that you could uh, eliminate suffering and, um, and trying, you know, it's that, that effort to create like a heaven on earth. 
Um, in the Christian story, that is the end of times, right? You basically, when you get to the last place of centralization, um, uh, 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 and do what, you know, that's when uh, the end of the Christian story occurs. And so um, certainly it makes a lot of sense that in these in-between uh, reset periods of society, that uh, theism is, is, gets a lot of increased interest. Right? So you actually have a spike every time society goes through these resets. And, and that makes a lot of sense because people basically see the struggle between individual and families versus uh, the, the centralization of decision-making and autonomy um, in society. And so, you know, to a certain degree, you could look at my thesis and say, okay, um, so the West is going to consolidate into a single like great reset um, uh, transnational uh, outfit um, with a great reset military and great reset money and a great reset governance and great reset cyber law and great reset social justice, right? One single outfit, um, US, Australia, UK, France, the five eyes, you know, this type of thing. And, and, and you could say, okay, so you're going to get a consolidation of the West based on um, or using COVID and probably cyber as the mechanism in order to consolidate uh, these countries. And okay, in the next long cycle, you might go into a, a kind of globalist Western technocracy and a globalist Eastern technocracy. And, um, you know, if you zoomed out, you might ask, um, would, would man try and consolidate those two into a single government? And part of me thinks that uh, there's merit to the idea that if the fear spells of COVID and cyber can be used to consolidate the West into a single um, governance structure, um, then you might be able to consolidate the East and West using fear spells of climate. Um, so, you know, it, we kick off the next long cycle and you have this, you know, uh, social justice technocracy of the West versus this, this, this uh, imperial communist technocracy of the East, right? That's the, the story of the next long cycle. But why, how could we continue to compete when you have this increasing drumbeat of climate catastrophe bearing down on humanity's soul? Wouldn't it make more sense that, that uh, these two great governance structures join forces to fight climate change together. Um, and if the climate catastrophe was severe enough, I certainly could see people being softened up to that. Um, and you'll have a lot of religious, um, a lot of religious pushback because people, it would trigger, uh, you know, the end of times in theist mind. And so they'll have that uh, pushback. And that's why I suspect that, um, you know, we've seen a lot of co uh, cooperation with Francis of the, the Catholic Church, and, and um, uh, you also see um, this kind of U UFO alien um, fear spell being like the ground being laid on that, like little seed seedlings, they're queuing that up. And it makes me wonder if they're going to have that fear spell in their back pocket in order to um, uh, unite any uh, religious uh, uh, um, pushback against unifying the human species in one single governance structure that you could almost have 
in the same way that the COVID pandemic really served to wipe clean previous norms so that we can reshape society, um, you could imagine a, a like a, a, an, an alien UFO false flag being used to wipe clean religious norms so that uh, we could join together in a single uh, religion. And so, you know, I've had lots of discussions like this privately with religious folks. And, and so, of course, we are drawing connecting the dots between what we see uh, from a secular point of view um, in terms of reset into the religious uh, teachings and stories. And, and there is a trend towards consolidating governance. And, and so I, I think what I would say is, yes, every religious person uh, uh, is aware of that, keeps an eye on if we are, are trending towards consolidated governance. Um, because it's meaningful in, in theist teachings. And, and, and so, um, and, and that also uh, feeds into the desire to, to call the they a cabal, because um, I, I think it, it, it kind of plays into the drama of, of, you know, if you have an evil group that's trying to consolidate the world um, and give you the mark of the beast and you won't be able to buy or sell without it, you know, these type of things. I, I hope that informs why people like, you know, they're drawn towards that thinking. Um, for me, spending most of my life in, you know, secular technology and being a new theist, I like to, um, you know, I put my secular hat on and I view the world through um, monetary incentives. And then I, I do like to have a theist conversation, um, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't want it to limit the reach of the overall thesis, if that makes sense. It does make sense from a practical point of view. Um, but from the point of view, you know, to borrow a, a term from, from Peterson here, you know, speak the truth and whatever happens is the best thing that can happen. That's kind of the approach that animates me. And so like, I, I understand that I might be able to, uh, package my message differently to appeal to a broader audience, but doing so would mean it's not my message anymore because part of my message, part of the thing that I express is a curiosity or a humility to the unknown and an, and an active inquiry into it. You know, so my, and of course, I'm not criticizing you. This is everyone decides for themselves how to go about doing this. But, um, you know, my own approach is, is to be as sincere as I can with, with what I'm seeing, admit what I don't know, uh, try to explain what I'm seeing, you know, probabilistically, let's say, um, and continue to refine that and, and react as though my strongest held beliefs are true, right? Because what else can you do? And it's interesting. The reason why I asked the faith question is because and it, it, I'm, I've been spending a lot of time on this lately, and I'm more and more, I don't think uh, faith is opposed to logic. I think it's the ultimate source, right? And um, I think what's happened in the world today, I, I think, so symbols convey meanings. Stories are made up of symbols. The degree to which they affect us, they speak to archetypes within us or even something deeper kind of resonates a truth. And this is why these stories are so powerful, right? Because you know, I think you, you've called them Malthusian fear spells and you can correct me if I'm, 
uh, not applying the term correctly here, but my assertion is that whatever story most motivates our behavior, and it does so by orienting our value hierarchies, then that is effectively your God, right? Because our value hierarchies are, are comprised comparatively, right? So like this thing is better than that, this thing is better than that. And where we wind up is something at the top and then things higher, um, you know, ordered below them in relative valuation for each thing so that you can move forward in space. So if the, if the story that you're most motiv motivated by is the you know, climate change, social justice, that sort of story, then all your systems of valuation are gonna conform to that story. And as a result, your action is gonna to conform to that as well. I, I think one of the, the tasks of humanity, and which is why I'm such a critic of uh, being so frivolous and doing away with the enterprise that of, of the human civilization over the last five to 20,000 years, which is of trying to determine what story most, um, most accurately depicts an underlying reality, which is the one that we experience. Because if we can use that story as a map to graft onto that reality, then presumably we're best oriented to what is true and therefore our systems evaluation and action can most uh, closely reflect that. And if, if we can interact with the fundamental structure of reality, let's say, or call it God or source or whatever, with, with the, the most accurate representation of it, then presumably we can act within it most beneficially or most successfully. And so I know there's a number of religious faiths in the world and I, I, my opinion is that this enterprise is what um, characterizes all of them. And every single one of them probably has valid criticisms. But again, I think the mistake of modern culture is that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But the thing is, is you can't not have a quote unquote God, a thing at the top of the, the hierarchy of meaning that determines and dictates value systems and therefore behavior. All you're doing is swapping one out for the other. All you're doing is choosing one. And this is why I think there's been such an emphasis placed on making sure your God is the right God, you know, because, and, and that's a, that's an enterprise for every individual who ever lives to make, because it will determine your systems evaluation, your behavior, who you become. And what I think has happened is that as a result of doing away with the former notion of that enterprise, we've been, we've be, allowed ourselves to be susceptible collectively speaking on a global culture to uh, stories that attempt to fill that void. But unfortunately, those stories seem to be catering to, you know, the incentives of, of these people, these groups, these perspectives, uh, mentalities of the people we've been discussing. And as a result of that, they're far less oriented towards truth. And what I yep. think is so special about Bitcoin is that it helps us to um, reconstruct systems of valuation. And as a result of that, I think it brings us closer to the truth of what is, right? To, again, to, you know, use the term God, because it allows us to more accurately 
determine relative valuation and what and in exchange and in cooperation and interaction with other people. And then I think it kind of bubbles itself up to the top of its own hierarchy. It's the hierarchy of relative valuation as determined by interpersonal interaction. And therefore it sits, you know, really high up on the hierarchy of value itself and other things that might be up there with it. And I don't think it's any surprise that Bitcoiners are beginning to espouse these sorts of things, but things up there with it would be love and beauty and nature and health and relationships and freedom. These, these things, these ideas of transcendent value. And I think all of those things are the closest things knocking on the door of ultimate value, ultimate truth, ultimate, um, ultimate form of the reality that we experience. Again, what you might call God. So in that way, this, this, this mechanism or this tool for reordering value hierarchies aligned with truth in the world actually brings you closer to the idea of what God may be. And you know, that's, that's a pretty uh, interesting, revelatory, dramatic, significant event or realization, if true. Well, you know, mankind certainly has adhered to religious stories for a long time, for thousands of years. And the, the certainly fiat society seems to have down-engineered our proclivity towards those stories and created a vacuum in, in those in that vacuum. Now, why do you think that is? Do you, I don't because I'd love to get your thoughts on like let's say we've you know we killed God right? Uh, God is dead. Why did like why did that happen? Why was it specifically something like fiat that would have kicked off that process? So centralizing money. Um, it seems to be very good at ameliorating. Um, I won't say suffering because suffering is very hard to eliminate. Because uh, if you you eliminate one form of suffering, another tends to take its place, um, an opposite shaped suffering. But it tends to ameliorate, um, relieve the individual of uh, burden, responsibility, and um, the idea is that you would be able to centralize, uh, specialize you'd be able to specialize and, and contribute back to society, lift everyone up. But um, if, if that's not well-balanced or not grounded in, in natural law, let's say, um, you would go too far in, in eliminating uh, burden and it would create a softening effect on, 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 on individuals and, and such that the individual would become softer over time. And, you know, part of the reason I don't go too deep into the religious thing is in part, I'm an adolescent into the space. And so I don't want to, um, I don't want to denigrate the community that I respect and, and, mm -hmm. and I don't want to um, create, you know, because I, I speak uh, on the secular side with, with quite conviction and I, I feel reasonably comfortable with that side of the thesis. Um, I don't want to um, have that leak into the, the, the Christian side and give the impression that I'm an expert in Christianity. I'm, I'm within the first hundred hours of exposure. I'm yeah. spread out, spread yeah. out over six months. So um, take that as a, as a, um, 
uh, a, a sort of clause as I wade into here that I'm no expert and um, there are plenty of um, there are plenty of conflicting um, uh, points within my value system that that are that are vestiges of the my secular value system colliding with my theistic value system. Um, but I will wade nonetheless and, and make <laughs> silly mistakes. Um, <laughs> just know I'm making them out of a place of humility and not confidence. Um, so my, my take, my, my um, view of this is that um, uh, in no small part, a large degree of suffering flows from the finiteness of man from the limitations of man, and that suits God just fine. Um, when people say, you know, why does God let babies die? Why does God let tragedy happen? Um, I, it's not my perception at this point that God views his role as, you know, as, as, it is not his responsibility or desire to eliminate suffering and tragedy, um, especially those that flow from the limitations of man. Um, and, and, and I think because of that, uh, the limitations, the suffering, the tragedy has utility. Um, they're important uh, the bur uh, because um, you have to choose um, as an individual, whether you take ownership or you're a victim. And, and, and I think that's the, the fundamental choice that God wants you to make. Um, that that is basically decides your trajectory towards um, like a heaven or like a hell because if you take ownership it means that you um, you take all the suffering and tragedy of being and you hoist it up on your back and then you you basically set out on a journey you build yourself up you become tough so that you can earn um, you can earn um, your glimpses at good you can earn um, uh, uh, your chance at being um, so that you become worthy of being. And I think the, the, my, my grasp on um, like the Christian uh, uh, existence is that the world is a sort of fallen uh, stage um, with wrath, with the, the tragedy and, and evils even of, of, of the temptations of man um, and what God wants is individuals of ownership to um, endure and and thrive through that anyways and become an example for good and, and in a sense look towards him so he knows who is worthy of his um, company. Um, and so you, you could say that um, central planning and the centralization of money, it basically um, over protects, um, it overshields us from burden, and burden is a key element in becoming um, uh, 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 individuals worthy of God. Um, and, and, and almost like um, uh, th there's a famous uh, painting about this, or a story about a devouring mother. It's the, the mother loves her kids very much, and so she shields the kids from too much uh, um, of the realities of the world, the, 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 the tragedy and suffering of the reality of the world and the dangers and the evil of it. And a consequence of that is that 
the kids are basically unable to be, they're unable to navigate the world because they are so frail and, and weak. They've been overprotected. Um, and, and so the mother's this sort of all consuming demon in a certain light because she's for her own sake uh, has done a huge disservice to her children. And you could say that um, overbearing governance is kind of, um, it, it kind of, it, it, it rhymes in archetype. And even you can go so far and say that like a communism, especially like that in the dystopian novels of like the giver, where it's like this perfect commune and there's no suffering and there's no, uh, there's perfect equality and there's no fear, worry about what you'll eat or what you'll do. You know, families are, are, are chosen, jobs are chosen. You're taking um, a drug every day to, to uh, suppress the human spirit. You know, that is almost the perfect, uh, manifestation of 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 uh, this all-consuming mother, and it's and it's evil in the sense that in order to do that, you have to eliminate choice. You have to eliminate um, many good things with bad. You have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't eliminate suffering without eliminate um, eliminating meaning. And so, any any um, any institute that tends to ameliorate too much choice and suffering is chewing into, it's, it's digging into um, the realm of what God demands of every individual, which is the ability to take on your burden, become tough, take ownership and go out and be a good example in the world. Um, and, and so, you know, you, know, you, you could say that um, like a, if, if there was a, a monetary system that best aligned with uh, Christian values, it, it would be something that did not relieve individuals of responsibility and burden and, and was kind of harsh in that you, your choices, you would feel the, um, you would feel the consequences of those immediately. Like uh, you could say the, the learning of the market, the learnings of the market would not be hidden from the market. Um, and you can go in the other direction, you would say, what would be most aligned with like the devil or, or hell? And it would be something that basically um, stamped out all choice and meaning so that no suffering would exist. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to say about why Christians seem like the light bulb seems to be coming on and they seem to be looking at Bitcoin and be going, wait a second, um, this this puts the autonomy back in the individual, back in the family where it belongs. This, this, is, uh, this can disenfranchise the parasitism of the rent-seeking of the central planners. That is a huge negative draw on the spirit. So, like, it, you know, Jordan Peterson might, would probably argue that um, the, the, the correct value system um, for, the, for human uh, the human species is the the Western religious stories, and, and I, I think it all comes down to that personal responsibility, um, uh, ownership of burden, um, building yourself up. Uh, you know, and I think I agree with him on that. And and but I'm still early in my journey of tying the pieces uh, to what what I see in the secular thesis. And so um, co comment on that and grab a piece of what I just said and let's have a conversation about it. Yeah, sure. I've, I've got two things off the top of my head. One is I think perhaps the reason why 
the, there's resonance in both of these groups of people is, is because I think what they both represent are systems of valuation that most closely graft on to align with stem from what is actually the truth of the reality that we're, we contend with or that we experience, right? Because I, I think that's what they do. One does it in, in story form. It attempts to use meaning to convey a structure, a system evaluation that is most, cl most closely adheres to what, for lack of a better term, may underlie reality, may, may be the force that generates the, the reality we experience. And I think Bitcoin, as you just articulated so well, is a system of valuation that best graphs onto the, the reality that we experience. And so they both almost in a sense do a very similar thing vis-a-vis -vis something grander and greater that lies you know, beyond uh, perception. And such is the reason why they become a gravity well for, for meaning and value. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, this is a, this is a domain that I see a lot of very, very interesting discussion and thought, uh, emerge around as we push forward into this, this Renaissance. I don't know if you, you mentioned this, but what was the instigate, like you said, this is a relatively new domain for you. What, what instigated this interest or this opening up. I'm not sure if you mentioned that already. If, if you did, I apologize. Yeah, so um, once I took the orange pill, I, I, I felt a, um, a weight lift off my shoulders in terms of some of the despair I felt in my life around, uh, as, that, I, that I believe um, emerged in me as a, as a result of being on the Fiat hamster wheel. Um, so I felt this, uh, this, this nihilism, this, this, this uh, pit of despair coming from the fact that um, I was viewing my, my toil and my work and my, my career through the lens of getting out, right? I was like, I finally, I'll be done with this. I'll be off of this. And so my moves were always to ensure that I would be able to get out. I wouldn't get trapped on the ever accelerating um, wheel, but I, I felt the classic um, dilemma of as I as my means increases, as my productivity increased, so did my expenditure, so did my lifestyle, and of course the um, the the inflation of our money um, accelerates that um, sensation. It it, it 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 multiplies that sensation because you feel that your money is not going as far. And so, um, you know, if you're not in a piece of work that, that is giving you energy and meaning, um, and, uh, you know, I was in software and I, I love uh, software, but the software industry, I'm not a massive fan of. Um, I'm not a massive fan of how that industry is shaped and the, and the, the dynamics of it and the incentives of it. Um, it, it is a uh, soft money industry. I mean, it has access to some of the cheapest money on earth. And so it creates all the, the dynamic and actors that you would expect. And for me, that created a, you know, it, it, it made it hard to believe I was a good actor when I was surrounded by that. Now, when I started uh, moving assets into Bitcoin, and I, and I basically 
got pulled into the rabbit hole, it made me realize there was a way to exist that was outside of that mode, that fiat mode. And I suddenly, I, I, you know, it, what I thought was had to be an exit became an off-ramp, an off-ramp out of the whole fiat world and into a world of inverse opposite value structure. And it just resonated so deeply in me that, um, well, I just, uh, I just poured into um, history and philosophy. I was drawn to Jordan Peterson. I was, you know, it was this, the classic orange pilling. Suddenly I became obsessed with ancestral health and, and lifting and sun and and, you know, it's just, it changed everything about how I lived. And, and, and it was funny because only a couple months in, I had a weird feeling like, am I going to end up being a Christian? <laughs> you know, I had a weird <laughs> feeling. And it was literally like 12 months later is when I finally was ready enough to say, okay, let me uh, read the New Testament. And I just finished it uh, the other day, actually. Um, and, and, um, so let's hang here for a sec, because again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm digging into this because it's such a common theme I'm seeing, right? Different people in different stages, maybe different characterization, characterization, definition of religion, a particular religion, all this kind of stuff. But like we keep bumping up against this door. And so and one of the things I like to explore uh, in various ways is, you know, like because you, you said, like, why the, the refocus or reframing or re-emphasis of ancestral health, of nature, of sunlight, of being strong and healthy, of, you know, and I, I referenced a few minutes ago, like these are things that are basically non-priceable forms of value, right? Like I, I, I can put a price on the 50 inch flat screen and, and basically the opportunity cost that Bitcoin makes, makes uh, confronts me with makes that value makes that value judgment extra clear and in your face and you know a lot of us are don't have any chairs because we're short bitcoin right so it subsumes uh the things that are that have a market value that have an overt obvious value and if when you have a such an intense form of value in your life of course you're going to get a reframing of all value and all in all the ways and things you bestow value on and again one of my kind of thesis is that one of the outcomes of that is that what remains when that gravity well of value subsumes everything that's of relatively lesser value, the only things that can stand up to that, the only things that are left are things of, I've been using the term transcendent value, perhaps it's not the right word, but things like your own health, your own sense of well-being, your own uh, your own approach to philosophy or uh, philosophy or God, the relationships you construct in your life, your sense of, of freedom and liberation. Like these are things that are impervious to the gravity well of, of nominal value comparison, let's say. And so like, tell I'd love to know a bit more how you recognize that the system evaluation was changing in you to, to increase the, the, the relative value of things like, you know, lifting and health and whatnot. And what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the source of maybe the greatest source of nihilism that can exist is knowing you are not able to act the way that you are at the deepest level and, mm. or that you are a cog in a wheel that's basically a cog in a machine that's preventing you from playing your role. And that's what I felt like. I knew I had, um, 
I was, I was, I, I had a strong draw towards principles and what was right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had done well in my career. Um, but at the same time, I, I strongly, I, I found the environment toxic, um, the attitudes of people toxic, uh, the whole world I was living in toxic. And so my, my point of view was like, okay, uh, treat your career like, you know, and at least this is the way it is in software, treat it like you're a professional athlete. Um, get in, kill yourself for, you know, maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, and then get out. Uh, don't, don't lose yourself in it, right? Um, you're going to have to sacrifice a part of your life and sacrifice a part of who you are, but you should be able to recover it after when you're done. But then that done moment gets pushed off and off and off. And that's what I think the experience of living in a fiat system is like. It's, it is one of despair. And so when um, I switched, when I actually switched my my thinking into a Bitcoin standard, um, it was, I, I got this kind of deep um, spiritual fundamental relief. It was this feeling of relief that I was able to, suddenly I was not in that world anymore. I looked at my actions that were still in that world as like, in the same way I knew that um, I, I would probably end up being a Christian at some point, I also knew I was probably going to end up quitting and, and not that long. I just, it just suddenly became clear to me that my whole life path had changed. Um, once once the, the, the light bulb came on, the orange pill did its actual work, you know, once I got over the, the common things that Bitcoiners get over, when I realized um, that there's not a shitcoin in the world that, that matters um, after Bitcoin, it's all... It's all shit coins. And, and when you actually start thinking through Bitcoin, that suddenly all the things I, I viewed as valuable that I would do one day filled my life in short order. It went from this, these things I knew were valuable that I was putting off because of the fiat hamster wheel to where I was spending almost every day all my spare time on these because my my. Uh, my time horizon had got lifted, lifted almost instantly, and suddenly I was thinking about family lines and 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 how to live principle in my life, and and like uh, spending time looking at history, and like um, you know I realized um, the the facade of the fiat world was I started recognizing it in all these places. I recognized it in in fiat health and fiat pharma and fiat food, and I recognized it in fiat governance and. And, you know, and, and so I, I said, okay, you know, almost like in, in Seinfeld, you have George Costanza, he has this day where he's like, I will do the opposite. If everything I did was wrong, I will do the opposite. And I kind of had one of those where, you know, I smirked to myself and said like, okay, well, I'm doing the opposite in terms of money. And like, what's the opposite of fiat food? What's the opposite of fiat government? What's, and, and with each one of those things, it, it enriched my life greater and greater. I felt, I felt more, more content, more, more this kind of steady happiness, the steady fulfillment, because I realized what I was doing was becoming unattached from the from central plan, from the fiat system. And I was starting to emerge. I was becoming, I was standing on my own. And that that was this incredible rich feeling that I, you know, once I got wind, I got a whiff of the trajectory of that, I kind of knew like, oh, does the moon lead to God? I think the moon might lead to God. Um, and, and, <laughs> and so that's what it felt like to me. It's so fucking bizarre though, right? Like, I mean, when you're explaining that, I, 
I wanted to see if we, you know, you could identify attributes. I think there are many, but you know, the, the off talked about, and I think ultimately too narrow, but definitely still very powerful is like, okay, well, once you know that your surplus time, energy, capital is secured in a way that you can have a high degree of confidence that it's going to be available to you in the future. And it's not going to be this, you know, constant suck and drain on you then, you know, and how does that shift in, in timeline, in your sense of time, in your sense of possibility, in your sense of security, in your sense of optionality, how does that reframe your value systems and your, and your, your value hierarchies? And like, you know, to hear it from you, and I've heard it from, from many other people. I, I mean, I haven't heard the uh, just do the opposite one. That's kind of funny, but it makes, it makes total sense. Right. Um, and it would, I mean, it's just so funny that it, it, it speaks such a cons it speaks to such a consistent impact on the construction of value hierarchies and the, the behavior that results. It, right? it's, it's like it's like going from a place where you feel like you're helpless. You're just trying to figure out how to play a game because you're competing with society on who gets to save. You know, I hear stories all the time like, oh, oh, my uncle got sent back to work. He lost, he wasn't able to save, right? Like he wasn't able to invest well enough. So who gets to save, who gets to retire? And that creates a helpless feeling. It's a death match just to have a livelihood. And, and so that, that's a suck on the soul. It really, it really hurts you um, in a deep way, knowing that the system is not, does not respect your time and sacrifice, it steals it. And um, there's a righteous anger you feel when you finally wake up and realize uh, my my sacrifice is being stolen. My family sacrifice is being stolen, and and so do you do you um, uh, sputter out with with you know with nihilism? Do you sputter out with wrath and 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 become like a a, a useless martyr just because that that emotion so strong, or do you actually um, do you actually uh, uh, beat it by becoming um, uh, unstoppable, so to speak? Do you, you know, and, and Bitcoin was the first step in that is like, I realized my sacrifice was untouchable once I did mm -hmm. that. And that, that served as the basis for a transformation in that, like, well, if I can make my family's time and effort untouchable, can I make our communications untouchable? Like, cause like, is it a right that we have privacy to talk with each other in confidence? Um, and, and I had that same righteous anger. And instead of going and lashing out and becoming a martyr, I went like, oh man, it, you know, unstoppable money, unstoppable communication. I went, oh, you know, if I'm, if, if, if I'm, if, if my health is being stolen by big food and big pharma, do I lash out and become a martyr and be, you know, have this right to say this wrath, or do I channel that into becoming, uh, building unstoppable health and unstoppable body? And, and so that act of realizing I had the control to opt out, I had the ability to become this unstoppable, hard, um, uh, you know, head of a head of a household, head of, head of a family, that to me, that empowerment was, it almost felt religious. It almost felt like- um, Of course I, it is. I mean, you're, sorry to interrupt, but here, here you were, you know, five seconds ago, you're saying in the, in the previous context, I felt like my soul was being sucked away from me. And I'm sure we've all felt that. 
And as a result of making this switch, which is predicated on a way to, again, you know, safeguard your excess, your capital, your life force, whatever you want to call it, now you have the inverse feeling that your, your soul has been liberated in a way. And you're, you're wanting to express that liberation outward into all sorts of different areas and to different people and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, there is no, like, there's no getting away from the, religious may not be the, a sufficient enough word, but there's no getting away from the profundity of that realization. I mean, there's something now, very, very special and, and profound going on there. And, and I, it, it felt like I was being taken on a path and if I just let go, it would transform me. And that's what's happened. I, I've given into whatever it is that's happening to us. I've given into it. I've, I've um, submitted to it and it has transformed me. And, and um, it's, it's scary in the best way um, possible. Uh, exhilarating is probably the right word that captures, uh, you know, a terrifyingly uh, unknown experience. Um, you know, but through that journey, I, you know, I had this tweet where I said, you know, is God um, using Bitcoin to end communism once and for all? And like, you get these thoughts where you're like, I'm like, where did that come from? Um, because like, okay, if, if you, um, if, if you're a Christian and, you know, you, either, either you're heading to like an end of times uh, situation where, um, which is to say that evil succeeds until it doesn't, right? You have this, 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 um, uh, you centralize, humanity centralizes so strongly that it brings about the Antichrist, right? Because that, that's what the end of times is in the Christian story. It's, it's basically the, 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 the success of cent the centralizing forces of, of man um, until there's a, until we create our own God in, on earth. Um, uh, well, I, I, and so people say, Laser, why, how are you optimistic despite all this crazy stuff you, you drop on us? Um, and it's because I actually don't think that that's likely given what I see, uh, given what I see happening, because what it looks like is there's an overwhelming force that's going to decentralize us. There's an overwhelming force that's going to disenfranchise the parasitism of rent seeking um, that will take us back to cement the individual the family, and um, and that's what made head me down the path of realizing that okay, um, tragedy and suffering that suits God just fine. He's uh, you know, he's not here to to stop people from ha experiencing that to save babies or what have you to eliminate disease. That's not the goal. But if you want to tempt God, what you would do is you would basically threaten free will. If you threaten free will deeply enough, what you're doing is you're preventing, um, you're preventing people from being able to turn to him, from being able to build themselves up, from being able to venture into the unknown and, and become worthy of being. So if you really wanted to tempt God, what you would do is you would threaten that. You would threaten free will. And that's what over-centralization does. That's what perfect communism, it creates this, this perfect prison where you can no longer act. You're, you're, you're a, 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 you know, a zoo animal. Um, and, and so, you know, either we're hurtling towards the end of times or God is lifting, you know, a finger and, and tossing it off. And that to me is like, that might be what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is, is simply an instrument that, uh, that uh, pushes off the final centralization of man. It gives us the instrument, the tool to take sovereignty back at the individual level to cement the family, to cement the individual. And, 
and and so so i you know that came out of me that thought uh last year sometime and it hasn't gone away the the feeling that what is occurring is that we are threatening free will um and we are going past the threshold which god thinks is acceptable and 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 you know god is infinite so something like a bitcoin is is completely inconsequential to him but if if the layer that we are basically capturing free will is at the money it would make sense to me that that we would discover bitcoin at this time um it looks a lot like um we are heading towards like a showdown uh at 2030 between um the individual and um the perfect prison of collectivism um and and it looks like that's when we will know who won and 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 for me it's it's there's something um, profound. There's something I can't, that is too coincidental for me to be comfortable with, which is all of the plans, the World Economic Forum, Davos, these steers of the long cycle, these, these, the folks that, that engineer the narratives of society, they all want to be wrapped up by 2030. When you start looking at the Davos thing, you, you see 2030 everywhere. Um, so that's when they want to fully realize this social scoring technocracy. And it's kind of like a, what you see in China, but it's just branded for the West. So it's wrapped in, in social justice, but it's the same system. It's a social scoring technocracy. They want to have that realized by 2030. Um, I've looked at where Bitcoin's headed and it looks like it's going to be like getting escape velocity at 2030. It looks a lot like uh, that's what, you know, there or right around there is when we get the uh, super cycle. So for me, I feel like, why does that feel so, that, that as a story feels so much bigger than all of us. It feels bigger than Bitcoin. The showdown. Yeah, it does feel like that. So yeah. <laughs> yes, I think about, you know, yes, I have a <laughs> theistic view on this. Yes, yes, I think. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's interesting. First, first of all, when you, that, that tweet that you sent out, you know, I think things fall into the category or on a spectrum of at one end ultimate truth and at the other end ultimate delusion and then everything in between and you know peterson has a version of this uh but you know mine to put it simply just came to mind when you were speaking like god seems like the truth that dissolves illusion right and if that's the case then the instruments of truth that dissolve illusion are more representative of the ultimate truth of god and, you know, it goes without saying that I, I think we both think that Bitcoin is one of those things and hence this transformative effect and reframing of what is and the, the, the uh, how it permits a certain degree of clarity and, and, and rectifies some of the mental cloudiness and confusion that's occurring. I mean, it's, it, it's all of those things and more, but I found your... Um, when you talked about free will and how like that's in particular a th imp imposing or, or, or negating one's free will, one's free agency is a particularly egregious offense on whatever force animates and orders reality or our experience of it. And that's really interesting because if you, because what I think it comes down to is like, if you think that human beings are, vessels for to use like a commonly used uh, secular characterization like we're all just 
ways for the universe to experience itself, right? Or to use the more religious terminology, we are all quote unquote God's children and, and perhaps our primary task is to understand God and express it out in the world. Um, if either of those characterizations, one of the things that would be most offensive to that pursuit is limiting it, is, is stifling it, right? Is because basically in both instances, you're, whether it's the universe or, or God, whichever one appeals to you, what you're, what you're implying is that they're both attempting to express and experience themselves through you. And imposing on an individual's free will and their free agency is putting a direct blockage on that. And then, so then it, it begs the question like, well, to what end? And it seems to me, came to mind when you were saying that, it's like, well, to, to the end of someone else's priorities exceeding those of that animating force that's att attempting to express itself through you, i.e., the, let's say the narcissistic individual entities or archetype that presumes itself uh, the highest form of order, the highest, uh, the highest God, as it were, and as a result justifies its stifling of that which is trying to come through you in service of its power. And you know, go ahead. if you had an ID, John, a global ID, and everything you did was recorded in uh, uh by omni omnipresent surveillance and financial surveillance so we we could we could feed all your human activity as an input into a function that planned society um you had no privacy at all and you didn't own anything you literally were a cog in a machine the, the problem with that is that that would severely erode your ability to act to be mm -hmm. to become and 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 so then the question is how far do you have to go until you you've basically uh, until you've basically required some small intervention by God to say like I will get my emergence I will <laughs> I will have my emergence right and 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 that's the thing is like um, the this social scoring technocracy that um, that the West is trying to import from China is extremely invasive. On the front end, it's this social scoring communism. So as serfs, we would all live in this communist sort of social justice, uh, social scoring society. And on the back end, it's this high-tech fascism. The state partners with industry titans, and that's how they operate the creature uh, together. And the thing is, it really is the, it really is asking people to capitulate autonomy all the way through to bodily autonomy. So it really is, in a way, asking you to give up your soul. Um, you, you know, I don't think it's too far to say that. And, and um, it is in Revelations, they do say that you would have a number. They do say that you would have a number. They do say that you would have some tracking element. I think it's, they say there's something in your right hand um, and, and that you would only be able to uh, uh, interact with the economy if you had that. So you would basically... It's a whitelist, right? So if you're on the whitelist, you're in. And if you, if let's say your social score falls too low, or you refuse to adopt this, you're you're an outcast. You're ejected out of society. So so you know, they do seem, you know, they, us, we, society, mankind, we do seem to be hurtling towards this um, this system that does sacrifice the individual at the altar of central planning, um, a moonshot to basically 
transition decision-making from individuals and families to governments and computers even, AI, um, central planning algorithms um, that, that basically crunch all of our behavior. They take it as inputs and they try and produce the next, um, the next primitives for society. And, and like from a theistic point of view, it's like, are you going too far? Are you going too far? And, and I think we're just going to find out. We're going to find out. But, but um, it's, it just strikes me as too, like Bitcoin is too, it's the timing of that. Like it's, it's swooping in and preventing um, us from being enslaved permanently into a perfect prison. And the type where most of society will, will fight you if you save them from, try to save them from it, right? They want, like, they will not be denied their, um, their, their serfdom. Like that's how uh, uh, bizarro and scary the kind of path on the central planning side um, is oriented towards and it's steep it's steep it's not like by 2050 you won't have choice it's 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 you know I, I almost view it as like um, there was an a b test between um, uh, western christian the western christian super empire with democracy right and they had that little hiccup where american uh, the u.s had a republic for a little bit but they were able to make it this test of democracy on one end and uh, authoritarian technocracy on the other end in the East. And it looks a little like central planners are like, okay, the AB test is done. We like B, <laughs> we like that. Uh, we like that social scoring technocracy. Let's import that, that's what's next. And, and so what they're doing is without your permission, they're basically uh, seeding you, your and your family's sacrifice and your free will uh, to, to boot and, and yeah. You, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to look at that from a secular only point of view because it, it does feed into the, you're basically striking down um, the lessons of, the, of all religious stories for the last thousands of years. Exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly what I was gonna say in that even though the characteristics and the dynamics are, are different today, of course, to reflect modern technology and culture, et cetera, but like, you know, I'm hearing you describe this and it basically seems like, you know, there's a, there's the manifestations of a false God. And then there's the manifestations of a true God. Again, like whatever you interpret that as source, creative force of the universe, like whatever. And the, the, as you say, the religious stories of the last 5,000 years and potentially longer have always at least in part dealt with that dealt with the danger of, of false idols, false gods, not being properly oriented around truth and the dangers and the pitfalls and the consequences of doing that. And, you know, perhaps this is just the same old story playing out the same old way. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound so self-important because but like those among us in this space that are first realizing this, it's almost like we are tasked with engaging and revivifying and rearticulating the truth. And that's yeah, quite a responsibility, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, Jesus said, Jesus was tested in this courtyard and they, they asked him, um, uh, who, you know, who, who deserves this? He, they hand him a coin. It was, it was a gold coin Caesars. And, and 
Uh, they basically are, are testing him. And he says, you know, give unto Caesar what is his, give unto God what is his, right? Which is to say, Caesar has a society. He has rules in that. Um, with that uh, up to, up to uh, you know, up to a point, give, you know, play by the rules, give unto Caesar what is his, but give unto God what is his. And, and, and so it's, it's, you know, with this, this transformation of governance in terms of central power is such that we've never seen, um, is it Caesar's? Like your, your bodily autonomy is not Caesar's. Do not give it to him, right? Your free will is not Caesar's. You don't, you know, you don't give that to him. You don't, um, you, you know, your family's sacrifice, all of it, the way that they extract the productive capital of the last long cycle and reset, they, they, they extract as much as they can. That's not Caesar's. You don't give it to them, right? But and doesn't so that's- Caesar, Doesn't Caesar only have anything because he violates any of those? Because he has the power to take from you? I mean, what is Caesar's? If not the ability to take right. from you what well, you believe what to is be yours. Yeah. Right. I mean, to, to, okay, so that's a, that's a very good question. And you might say, um, what is the, the theistic role of, of the state? And, and maybe the answer is something like, to the degree that we cannot organize ourselves, there is a role for the state to provide a society. But as the individual in, rises to the occasion, as our technology, as things like Bitcoin emerge, our ability to organize ourselves in terms of a large homogenous society of families, as that increases, Caesar needs to make way. He needs to get out of the way. And I, 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 I think that's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, not very much like Caesar to do so. I agree with your point, but I mean, I guess this is why Bitcoin is such a fascinating and possibly unprecedented inflection point because like it was always necessary like for that coordination and order that we desired it was always necessary to imbue someone else with a high degree of power and because yes. that that was kind of the thing that permitted the coordination and we made that trade-off Bitcoin seems to be permitting if not a elimination but a a great diminution of that dynamic where you don't have to make such dramatic sacrifices of different elements of yourself and your property in order to achieve that same level, if not a greater level of order, you know? And so again, we're, we're in this, this part now where we've, we've reached the apex of the trade-offs required for, you know, centralized order to be the dominant form that produces order. And, and I'm and not now, sure. And that now it's... the antithesis, right? And, the, so, and again, to that breakup idea where like the, the, the two opposing forces are, you've you got the apex of the former with the emergence of the latter. And, you know, of course, the breakup is, is going to be a little messy. You know, it's funny. In, in, in the past, in, when they launched like a communist society, what would happen is that the government would take over the means of production and, um, it's very hard to run industry when you're not an expert in the industry. And so usually they'd end up destroying the means of production and they'd be forced to export the raw resources of the country in order to import food to feed their starving country. That's typically how uh, socialist countries um, uh, fail. And, and, and so of course the, the, um, the next iteration of authoritarianism where they combined uh, uh, 
parts of communism with parts of fascism and, and they deployed that in, in uh, China in order to experiment and this, this social scoring technocracy emerged. That's very smart because that says, oh, well, you have to keep the, the industry around. You can't, you can't have the, the government take over uh, the means of production. You need to partner. You need to marry the means of production. Like, okay, that, that's, that's very um, smart. Um, uh, and, and, and so I, I think we're going to see that um, this go around. But, the, you know, actually, I, I lost. Uh, bring me back to your last point so I can. Uh, well, I, I, I was talking about the just the breakup, right? Because um, the, this, uh, uh, this. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember now. So, um, but, but part of that society is the, the, the mental conditioning of, of serfs you have a two-tier society in China. So uh, most Chinese actually like the system because they believe it's, it's necessary. And, and we're seeing this in the West too. I, you know, a lot of people say like, oh my gosh, we need to resist this. And it's, it, it's not clear to me that you actually can resist the, the Great Reset because such a large part of society will probably want it um, because they've been conditioned. Like they, you know, they won't be denied their serfdom. But, and so I don't think it's a, um, I, I think the Great Reset actually succeeds, but. But I think what you're more likely to get is a fork. Um, and, and so I, I think it'll be an old story played over again new. I think the Great Reset succeeds. You have these smart cities where they herd people into them. They're really kind of like, this is where they're, they're more like, like a surf, uh, surf city, slave city, but they'll be branded as like this you know, high-tech smart city. Um, and uh, it'll succeed. But Bitcoin will succeed as well. And because these communist societies are two tiers, you'll have the money tier above putting their sacrifice and their productivity into Bitcoin. And you'll have um, uh, 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 the folks that opted out of all this, who just went another direction, will be building a new society um, on the side. And I think what will happen is you'll have a gravitational pull uh, into Bitcoin. And the more that uh, money moves into Bitcoin, it'll actually gut the ability for the, these uh, surf cities to provide for themselves. It'll be the same story as old socialist um, uh, uh, collapses. Because even though this time the state has married the industry, the industry men have also <laughs> migrated to Bitcoin on the outside. And so that'll disenfranchise um, these socialist cities, they, they will collapse for the same reason they did before, but this time it'll be at the feet of Bitcoin. So I, I actually think you get a fork and then you get a brain drain uh, on the top tier of the uh, tech technocratic cities, and that actually serves to collapse um, the Great Reset. But I don't think it's this, you know, at 2030, the Great Reset fails and the whole world goes, okay, Bitcoin time. I think they both stand up. I think you'll have basically men that opted out, that, that, that took their families and didn't do any of this, just said, you know what, we'll be over here. That'll launch and, and simultaneously they'll, they'll run and then one will win over the coming decades, I wanna say, like maybe by 2050. Well, it'll be emergent, it won't be a big bang. Um, right. and, and that to me seems the most likely outcome. And so people often ask like, oh my gosh, who's gonna win? And I, I think they both, win in the short term, um, you need to choose where you are. Are, are you going to, are you going to join the, the surf city and see what that experiment is like? Or, or are you opting out? Cause I, I don't think there's an in-between and if you're opting out, you should opt out at every layer. Um, it's not just your money um, because big tech uh, is marrying the state. 
for this next chapter. So if half of your life is in big tech, uh, you're you're not opted out and you're going to be steered in that direction. And so, you know, there's no boots on the ground as far as I can see. Most of the coercion of, of um, cycling people out of the old monetary order and into the new one, most of that, it, it's all coercion. It's not force. And so um, you have a huge part to play in, in, in to, to what degree you're going into that system or opting out. And so you and I, we talked about like, okay, Bitcoin is step one because it makes you aware of hope. It makes you aware of, of your own autonomy, right? You kind of take charge of that. And then step two is probably something like zooming out and understanding the greater thesis so that you're not, you're not in despair and you can actually act. But you need to get into the, um, and, and we tweeted about this, it's the, the rolling of a, a sovereign stack which is to say, you know, we're locked down. Most of people's lives are at home now, remote. You do everything remote. And so, you know, are you putting all your digital hours into the partners of this new society or have you opted out, right? Are you in, are you on iOS? Are you on Microsoft? Are you on Windows? Are you using Gmail? Are you, you know, on and on these services that you use to store your pictures and your data and your communications, are you basically allowing central planners um, to feast on your every detail of your life or have you shown them the door yet and said, you know what, I'm actually building this new society. So you need, you know, it's 8 PM and it's time for you to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, man, it's not, it's that for sure. And hence the tweet and, you know, I think the best form for us to get into the nitty gritty of the details is like offline. And then we can maybe do particular shows around like a set of solutions that are easy to adopt, you know, like once we kind of flesh out, because I think I want to do that for myself. And one of my motivations is not just what you just uh, referred to, but it's as this, the, the noose gets tighter, it's going to inspire in us even greater expression of truth, right? And we kind of, I, I think about the idea of the martyr so much because I think it's such a, a beautiful representation and an idea, which is basically, you know, the purest representation of the truth of a principle or ideal possible, which is so offensive to the relative illusion or falsity or dishonesty, which surrounds it, that it creates this like, bang right this conflict where either like the martyr is killed because its surroundings cannot withstand cannot cannot um put up with such a pure representation of the principle existing right therefore it has to be destroyed whereas the martyr in its conviction of the very principle accepts that outcome in order to express it into the world and recognizing that they cannot actually express it to such a degree without that sacrifice that they're making right it's a beautiful idea and and metaphor and actually you know actual thing that occurs in real life but to to borrow just a piece of that is in our attempts and you know someone who speaks publicly like myself i know at some point my desire to speak and represent truth and the tightening of the news will come into conflict right and yes. and that this will result in censorship deplatforming, blah 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 all that stuff and so it's it's vital as far as I'm concerned to be transmitting the message in domains that cannot be 
cannot be censored, cannot be deplatformed, and and start moving people to consuming these messages in those domains so that it can persist even when you know the the, the news tightens. Yes. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you have your friends group. Are you are you using SMS? Are you basically feeding the beast with your communications such that you're assisting? The transformation of society into this AI uh, central planning technocracy? Are you, are you feeding that? Or are you in a place where you have end-to-end -end encryption and you're basically reclaiming privacy? That's a very small example, but it's, 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 it's very significant because um, at this point, I think you need to, we all need to start being very conscious about are we feeding the beast, right? Because in the same way, um, that uh, the way that you spend your money creates a, uh, a world based on the goods and services you favor, right? Totally. And so it, I think it makes a lot of sense that right now, okay, let's say you don't want to, you know, you don't want to see a world defined by um, uh, medical apartheid. So don't put your money into the things that are supporting it, right? Um, never, never invest or, or, or spend uh, your sacrifice on things you don't want the world defined by, you don't want the future defined by, and, and, well and but 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 you you could expand that into the digital realm and say every hour you spend on a platform, uh, you know, people say oh code is just a tool it can be used for good or bad. That's true. So you need to discern, <laughs> you need to discern where are you devoting your uh, your digital wealth in terms of your data in terms of lack of privacy, in terms of your time, are you devoting that into platforms that are actually going to serve to imprison you? <laughs> and, and that's something that it, it's not readily apparent to people until, um, you know, well, you take this like uh, Apple debacle where it's, okay, so it, it's come to light that Apple's going to start scanning your photos for uh, whatever it needs to look for. And of course they're using, I think like child, um, exploitation as the as the mechanism to engineer consent among society, but a lot of privacy people are saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like, what precedent does that set? Where now you're just able to, using computer vision, start looking for anything in all the photos of all your customers, and so that's an important thing. Do you say, "Okay, I'm going to vote for that by not leaving," or I'm going to leave, right? Um, so, so. The economy runs on money, but tech runs on attention. And, and, and so where do you put it? And um, you, you mentioned something really good, which is to say, I don't think we need to be like panicked about it because as tech crosses the line, it only serves to create unstoppable tech that is resistant to it, right? So it almost is the... <laughs> It's the seed by which things like BitChute and you get these various like unstoppable video platforms come out. So as you censor harder and harder, the people that really care about this go, you know what, we're gonna go over here. Um, as you exploit people's communications more and more, it only serves to strengthen uh, like privacy-based uh, strong encryption messaging platforms. So um, I, it's, it's not, it's, it's more that we should be aware that that's going to play a role and an increasing role over the next eight months as these means of coercion uh, become uh, uh, stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly, and I hear a lot of is obviously not just me. A lot of people are, are 
you know, I'm not a super tech savvy person. If anything, my my interest in delving into Bitcoin over the last, you know, five, six years has inspired me to move, you know, try to increase my competency in some areas of that, but it's not something that comes naturally. And so like, I, I naturally delay uh, these things, but, you know, it's reaching a point now where like delaying seems like a big mistake, you know, because you don't want it to be sprung on you, right? Like when, when it, not only do you want to starve the beast and I understand totally the rationale for that, but you want the interruption to everything, how you communicate your expression, your networks, your income, all this stuff to be minimally influenced when, you know, when the, uh, when the, 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 the noose again, you know, continues to, to tighten and uh, around you. So I think it's super important. I want to ask you this. It's kind of related, but, you know, doing those things permits even greater freedom, right? So like, uh, Unfortunately, I have to admit that occasionally in these conversations, like I'll use slang to refer to things that might trigger censors, right? We've, we've probably all been there to some degree. Uh, or, you know, maybe even in some cases, although I can't think of any right now, might, might avoid certain topics. And I hate that. Like that, that I hate it that. Itself. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but, and so part of the appeal of these tools is the liberating feeling that they give you it's like wow i'm i'm putting i want to put myself in a, an environment where i'm even more able to liberate whatever it is that is genuine about myself and the reason why i set up this question with that kind of context is like and this feeds into the whole discussion we've been having about digging deeper into the meaning of, of bitcoin and its relation to quote unquote, the divine and reorganizing of value structures, et cetera. It's like, I'm, a component of me is like, wow, you know, things are crazy. The, the kind of strategic methodical um, uh, you know, rational or, or, or calm mind is required there in order to orient things properly and, and you know, play the game and, and in the shifting landscape optimally. But you know, another element of me wants it has a sense of wanting to let go even further into this mystery of a phenomenon that's happening. You know, so like to to put it kind of simply, like I want to get up on these calls and rant about like Bitcoin's relation to the divine, like constantly, right? Because like I almost feel by not doing that, I'm I'm holding something back. You know, because I. There's interesting questions there. I don't know any of the answers, but there's there's something, it's, I feel like there's something genuinely unique to be explored there. And what, what, what lies on the further down the trail of that exploration seems to me to be of extreme value. You know, and so I, I want more and more to, to permit myself to lean into those things. But it's this kind of, you know, tug between wanting to stay a little bit more grounded because of the the uh, dynamic and the nature and the dangers in the current environment and chaos etc and you know wanting to go a little bit crazy for lack of a better, ter a better term uh, in exploring just how how mysterious this phenomenon that we're dancing around is well i think there's something to be unlocked you know if if you could communicate in full confidence, um, you could explore the, the extent 
of, of where these ideas lead, including when they le led to the wrong place, but you could do so because, you know, that, that act of, you know, you're, you're, that act of, of exercising ideas with someone in an uninhibited way is fairly critical for um, flourishing and exactly, and exactly. Yes, to emerge. And so, you know, the, this theme of inhibiting the human spirit is always common, is, is always present in dystopian movies. And I'll go back to The Giver because I've used it a few times, but they take injections every day to, to basically suppress um, uh, feelings of longing, suppress feelings of there could be something more, suppress feelings that desire to basically let whatever is inside of you fully unveil itself. Um, and, and it, to me, like you look at, especially in uh, times of reset where there's huge um, uncertainty, but there's also huge potential for the human spirit to to basically emerge. And, and the the state and the the structure that governs uh, humanity really needs has a strong incentive to suppress uh, any any emergence. Um, especially in these times. So it makes sense, like the, 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 the trend of censorship makes a lot of sense in that light. The trend of like lockdowns and social distancing makes a lot of sense. Like um, in World War II and in World War I, when they had to reset the world monetary order, they also needed you traumatized and terrified, sheltering in place, huddling under the state, waiting for orders, right? While they, again, used money printing to extract wealth and, and restructured uh, society for the next chapter uh, of, of uh, uh, for the next long cycle. And, and, and so people would be, um, instead of being um, outraged and, 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 and flipping the table over because you saw what the money printer was doing to society and saying, no, we're going in another direction. Instead, they were able to replace those emotions with one of collective fear, like civic duty. And, and you said, you know what, it couldn't be helped and we all made it through. And that's what they're, you know, that's, that, that describes really well the effect they're after with COVID, right? We're sheltered in place. Um, and so you look, you know, you're, you're waiting for orders, you're huddled under the state and, you know, whether you make it through, if you make it through this with no savings at all, you're like, whew, we, we survived. We all did this together. Like, at least we did it. We were all in this together, right? And so I think um, the, the, the state has great need to suppress the, the, uh, the human spirit, because if we um, unimpeded, uh, uh, had interactions like this. And, you know, this is a great testament, by the way, to technology. Like they're doing this reset at a time when technology makes it impossible to stifle human communication. When, when, when technology like Bitcoin makes it impossible to stifle um, the, the degree that people can build their families up, right? So, so, you know, it's a huge testament that we're having this conversation, right? Um, mm -hmm. But that, that kind of specter of censorship um, it's, it's always going to be present as you get this ever increasing centralization. I mean, you can take that further and say, um, you know, it looks a lot like um, law on paper um, is being replaced by narrative, right? If you break the narrative, you are a criminal, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and the, new sort of, um, the new sort of state is arranging around the idea that they're narrative enforcers. And um, this is what you see in like, uh, pre-crime right so uh, basically what they want to do is is who is not going to comply and that is what crime is now 
And actually, this is very similar to what they have in China. In China, it's your social score is your god, because that determines if you have mobility, what you can do. And if you go uh, below a certain level, there's only three punishments in China. I mean, uh, the first thing is, so if you, if you start trending in the wrong direction, they'll reduce your mobility. So you won't have access to goods and services or to move around. You won't be able to move up in life as easily. If you keep trending in that direction, then you'll get re-educated. So they'll come pick you up and they'll teach you how you're supposed to behave. And if you keep, mis you, your social score keeps going down, you'll get disappeared right? That, that social score has replaced law in China. They don't have law on paper anymore. And you could go further. You could say in the middle of reset, pieces of paper, like um, pieces of paper, like uh, fiat currency, pieces of paper, like law and pieces of paper, like ballots, they have almost no meaning. So you're in this era where none of these things have any validities. And, and people have that general sensation like, oh my gosh, law has ceased to matter. Um, the ballot ceased to matter. I mean, even the currency will cease to matter. And, and all of those things are true. So it's, it's, um, it's a matter of, um, well, really being, really appreciating and, and recognizing, look at what technology is doing. Because every time in, 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 in history, we would basically be at the whim of the state, right? You literally would be sheltered in place, being like just waiting for whatever the next order, hoping that you would survive the darn thing. Um, and so now here we are, we're, we're, you know, plainly articulating what is occurring. We're, we're describing the way that the government is forced to uh, um, uh, navigate society through re reset, how they use it to their advantage to reshape society for the next long cycle. And, and so um, this was never possible before. And the only reason we could do that is because our sacrifice, our time and effort is safely stored in Bitcoin. So it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible that, that, we, that we are living through this and this is even possible, right? This puts us at the same level as the statesman behind the money printer. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all that. And it, it is something I try to remind myself often, just like, it was never really going to be any other way. So don't lament the discomfort that's part of the process because, you know, the punchline is, is we're winning like crazy, you know, just, it's sometimes uh, maybe difficult to see that because you you know, well, we all doom scroll on Twitter and we, we see the breakdown in its various forms because everyone, you know, we, we can see into the entire world through everybody's phones now. And, you know, if you're not careful with, how those inputs affect you, they can cause you to construct a, a you know, somewhat false perception of what is actually going on, which, which maybe again speaks to what you just said, which is like zooming out and having a bit more of a macro and historical contextualized uh, view about like what is actually happening here. So, I mean, and then this comes back to the notion of, of hope, right? And how powerful that can be and how justified it is. Uh, but I'm just like, go ahead like the loss of freedom and liberty in the physical world is, is real. The, the, that basically uh, um, a social system with movement gates are being deployed everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that you could only move if you have a good social score. That's basically what they're trying to realize. Um, and, and, and of course it's, it's, it's uh, the conduit is COVID, right? It's, oh, we need these vaccine passports. But really what that is, is um, it's basically, uh, are you allowed to move? Um, have you pleased the system? Okay, you can move, you can't. Um, and, 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 and so 
um, that's real. And that's the same kind of tyranny that's, that's uh, you know, surrounding us in the physical world. I expect that to move to the digital world. And so I expect, um, you know, in maybe it's at some point this year or next year, I expect uh, the event that Davos and, and has been foreshadowing this cyber pandemic, which will make COVID seem like a small nuisance. Um, I expect that to create the, um, the societal problems that a KY ever, KYC everything internet, a great firewall of the West, a you know, government log on for, login for every uh, service that you use, I expect that narrative to be um, commonplace next year. And, and so this is another reason like, okay, you, you can opt out, you can vote with your feet physically, right? You can say, man, being in California at this point, like we're not gonna vote our way out. So I'm gonna go put my financial energy into an economy that gets it like a Texas or Florida, right? Like you could vote with your feet physically and you should. Um, I think that that's a very good thing. But you might have to do the same thing digitally. You might have to say, you know, like if, if, if Facebook rolls out, you know, okay, John, you're gonna have to log in with your government ID. It's like, uh, it, it, you know, and that's going to determine if you can move what permissions you have <laughs> like in society. If you, you know, you would want to vote with your feet digitally too. And, and um, so I think there, there's good reason to um, not deceive yourself about what's coming. Like um, it is, sure. it is, it is the loss of physical and digital um, liberty, but only if you stay in one place is, is, is kind of the hope that I'm bringing, which is to say, Bitcoin is teaching us. Like let Bitcoin teach you. Bitcoin brings uh, asymmetric defense to your money. And the, you know, uh, balkanization physically moving creates, it, it basically raises the, top, the cost of tyranny. Like if you go somewhere that it's just expensive to reach you, like you've just, you've just made it you've just voted for a new society to emerge by doing that, right? That's how a renaissance happens. If, if Texas ends up being the, um, the, the capital of mining in the world as a result of China, and then let's say the US tries to ban um, uh, uh, Bitcoin in some fashion, well, that might only serve to cause Texas to secede because you've attracted all these brilliant capitalists, right? So, yeah. it, it, and, I, and, I, and I think that that same kind of, physical arbitrage, we're going to have a digital arbitrage where like, it sounds crazy now, but you might actually have to move to get an ISP that doesn't require government login. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I think things are going. And, you know, in terms of like, uh, not catastrophizing, right? Not becoming so paralyzed by fear from doom scrolling. Like this is why the macro view helps. Cause if you go, okay, this isn't science fiction. Uh, China does this now. They do this physically, they do this digitally, checkpoints everywhere, social score, digital ID, right? That's what they do now. And in, in, I mean, they're still early in it but that's what, that's what they're rolling out. And this is what the West wants to roll out too. So it's not science fiction. It's, it's a new form of automatic uh, algorithmic governance, right? That's what they wanna roll out. Um, so it's not, you know, even though dystopian, uh, movies are scary, like you, you can steady yourself and say, okay, that's real. It's happening, but they're focusing on cities and they're focusing on the biggest tech services, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where the return on tyranny is very good, right? Cause that's where everyone is. And so 
um, if you listen to what Bitcoin is teaching you, it teaches you to become expensive to tyranny. And so then my quest, my mission is to teach people to become so expensive to tyranny that they lose, right? So if, if moving out to Texas makes it very costly to bring tyranny to your door, that is something, you know, arguably we're learning from Bitcoin. If moving uh, what services you use makes you very costly to reach from a digital point of view, that's, um, that's something that Bitcoin's teaching us. If moving off of fiat food makes you costly to reach in terms of designer virus warfare, right? That's something Bitcoin is teaching us. And, and on and on, these, tra these traditional timeless uh, values of basically taking responsibility for your household in all ways, such that, um, yeah, you, you know, you're, not, you're no longer thinking about things in terms of, we must stop tyranny. It's more about like, oh, what do you mean? Like, you know, my, my house is very fortified in all these ways. And, and so, you know, just, I just know there's me and there's, uh, you know, millions of others of houses like me. And, and we're, we're just, we'd be very expensive to, to bring tyranny to. And, and through that, an unstoppable, peaceful society can emerge. Yeah. I agree because, you know, all of these things that you're discussing are different ways of either defending or opting out, right? But the fact of the matter is, is when you opt out, you simultaneously opt in to something else. And I think this, as we've discussed already, like this is how the other culture, society, civilization actually emerges because you get all these people opting into a different way of doing things. And, and, and I think as it's a, especially in the case in something like Bitcoin and its peripheral technologies and all of that is like you were you were referring to earlier kind of like the balkanization and then the competition between jurisdictions and like it may you know sure it may play out on a, a really long timeline but I also think that Bitcoin so outcompetes or will so outcompete as a economic and sociocultural unit those that it may be compared to in the balkanized world that the the relative advantage or benefits of the former will become so evident that that will accelerate the the transition and just like a, a very simple re you know one of the reasons why that may occur is like think of the efficient use and allocation pricing use and allocation of capital right that because and that's basically the mechanism through which uh wealth can be created ultimately in, in today's world, we have artificial cost of capital updated on a quarterly or at least monthly basis in many cases, and uh, you know, highly manipulated, blah, 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 you know, the, the, the existing interest rate and fiat currency system. And then in Bitcoin, you know, like in something like the Lightning Network or whatever markets ultimately emerge, like you have a real-time cost of capital that's meeting the supply of capital with the demand preferences for capital and generating the most accurate cost of capital and, and, and therefore allowing for its most efficient distribution and allocation. And like that alone, that, that dramatic increase in the efficiency of the, the, alloc the costing and application or allocation rather of, of capital is such a huge competitive advantage. And then you layer on all the other different dynamics of the people involved and the, the technologies involved and all that kind of stuff. And it, it could really happen faster than we may think, you know? Yeah, well, central planners are in a hell of a position because reset requires um, that they turn up the volume on a lot of these imaginary problems. Um, and, and 
that allows them to transition from a collapse of faith in government money to a new uh, structure of government money, a new structure of society. Now, in, in the past, um, there's never been an alternative, <laughs> right? And, and so um, th this is particularly dangerous uh, for them because, um, well, fear is a powerful motivator, but flourishing might be more powerful and it might, you know, and, and so um, if I was a, an investor or um, an industry titan um, or someone of large money, um, you know, and I was uh, acclimated to parking my wealth in, in government treasuries to some degree, um, things that the state backstops. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the stock market, for example, um, and it's different depending on the country. Like, and certainly in China, what the state backstops is might have different a different shape. Um, we might even be able to talk about Evergrande a little later. But um, um, and, and and now I see. Okay, the state is um, is managing this reset. So there's going to be a, a stage of uh, a collapse of confidence, and then they'll they'll try and best they can rotate people into the new system. Um, okay, so. A common way that they try and restore faith in government money is they go, okay, okay, we're, we got a new backing bucket and it's full of all these tangibles that you trust, right? It's full of gold and it's full of, um, uh, you know, land and it's full of all these things that you, so, it was, you know, and it's full of, um, uh, you know, debt from various countries. So like you might see with the IMF that they start, um, uh, that it, this backing bucket emerges is emerges with um, with uh, member countries uh, hard assets in it, um, and you might see that central bank digital currencies are backed by it, and that might be the reason why we should all have faith again in government money, right? Uh, beyond all the new exciting features of central bank digital currencies, um, but if you're a large money, um, you know, you know that uh, that it's a sliding scale, like a, it's a very temporary thing. Um, uh, 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 the, the solidness of that bucket, like how long will that last? 10 years, 20 years? Like how long until they hollow out the, the foundation of that bucket and it just becomes wealth extraction again, right? It just transforms into what uh, central, banking always transforms into, which is the harvesting of society's sacrifice. So now suddenly here you are, you're in reset, you're large money, and you know that, okay, the, the government's doing a pretty good job promising you all these benefits. So you can go park your money in their, in their uh, uh, fiat-backed whatever asset classes, or you can simply park it in Bitcoin and you have a guarantee as to the transparency and the backing of it. You have a guarantee of what it's going to look like, not for the next 10 years, for the next 100 years, for the next 1,000 years. So, it, you know, it, I can't imagine um, uh, being in the position of the government who is used to this old trick. Now they're having to perform that trick in the shadow of Bitcoin. I mean, uh, you know, is big money gullible enough to buy treasuries again, to buy bonds again? Well, I can't think of a single reason why you would ever buy a bond or treasury ever again. And, and that's a big problem for the state. I mean, I, I haven't heard one cogent um, uh, thesis as to how big money would be recompelled um, back into state securities of any nature.
Me neither. It's a problem. Uh, <laughs> it's a big like problem. war. Okay, war maybe like that's you know war bonds could happen. Like you can imagine a hot war inspiring investment because you know spoils and claims over economies after that fact. Okay, but like gee, you know it really is kind of this limp weakening book of business, right? From big money's point of view, it's like, okay, what do you, what do you got to offer me? You're going to have a hot war. Like that's it. You know, you don't, you don't have bonds or treasuries to really offer. And so um, I got into this when we were talking ESGs, it's like, okay, ESGs are going to pull mining closer to the money printer, right? Cause it's a soft money incentive. But if you're an investor, are you going to invest in the mining operation that's dependent on the mining on the money printer? Or are you going to invest in the mining operation that can outsurvive the money printer? So it's, you know, you, you get in this place where I think the things that government has to offer the money of the world is really being eroded quickly um, as people are waking up to Bitcoin. Like that arsenal of what they can actually offer the real, should prop them up like that's running dry as far as i can tell so so you know it's it's very sketchy to be trying to go for this moonshot this great reset you know to hail mary um as bitcoin is is becoming um sort of the the primary parking house for wealth yeah i i agree and i think that's a great analysis i mean i, I we we shall see right because i'm sure there will be there will be, you know, unique and desperate attempts that manifest, but it's hard, it's hard not to agree in, in an analysis of the landscape and 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 like you know this this phrase that Bitcoin is dematerializing, you know, all other or many other assets and all other monies and and, and processes and like as you said, this is the, the the game theory playing out, right? This is the the obvious uh, opportunity represented by the ability to, you know, quote unquote, speculatively attack while this, this disjointed market currently exists. And like, again, in, in, in the efforts to have to prop up the legacy one, you, you simultaneously create a massive opportunity to, or, or maybe you, you accelerate the transition into, into the, the Bitcoin option, you know? So I don't know, man, I, uh, I don't know. I, you mentioned Evergrande and a few people, um, you know, wanted some commentary on it. I don't I actually don't have much to say on it, but I do have to pee. So uh, if you if you got anything to uh, to talk about it, go for it and, and we'll shut it down after that. Um, I don't have a ton to say. I think like Evergrande, their debt represents like two percent of China's GDP. And I think you have international investors kind of getting nervous because if, if they're not able to pay, 300 billion of debt like what does that mean <laughs> what does that mean for like uh debt elsewhere like the u.s has like two point uh, uh what is it 290 billion <laughs> some huge num massive number now and so you know um what, what i would say is it's it's useful to view things like this through the lens of of reset and and you know china can backstop yeah. whatever they want and so um it's it's all signaling right it, and, and and so one might look at this and say, are they sort of weathered for collapse in a way that the West isn't? And, um, you know, would it be strategic to basically signal? Because the, th the thing is, it's not like we're on the cusp of um, the greatest sovereign default of all time. We're, we're in it. 
So it's just a matter of the games that prevent people from realizing it. And so, you know, that that grants countries the great responsibility to not pop the bubble first. But, it, you know, if if it arises that there's a strategic reason to do so, then, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see someone knock the first domino over. And so that's how I view Evergrande. I, it's hard to say it's very, you know, but, but looking at the confluence of signals, it's like I could I could see um, they think that, uh, you know, the West is hustling to try and leapfrog their technocracy, you know, their, their social scoring technocracy. Uh, the West looks like it's trying to consolidate into a single like great reset West. And so um, what would happen if you like made people realize uh, in the West that they were in the middle of the greatest uh, de sovereign default of all time? That, that's like my current view on it at least. Right, which going back to what we started with would presumably greatly shake the faith that underlies the existing structure of the system in the West, right? That presumably that would be part of the motivation. Yeah, it could be. And like, the thing is, is uh, any, anytime something new happens, just don't, don't, don't over speculate, right? Like, so have a very malleable thesis and allow, allow the empirical evidence to, to harden it or, or, or uh, soften it. Right. And, and so as long as you always have that posture, um, I think it'll serve you well in terms of not losing sight of the greater, the greater picture. Um, like uh, originally I thought, I thought what was happening was uh, financial interests in the West were making way for China is the next uh, superpower. And so China was giving um, the West a way to usurp their own uh, governance structure, democracy, and replace it with uh, social scoring technocracy through COVID. So that was what China was doing. And in exchange, we were saying, okay, you could be the superpower uh, of the world next go around. Just give us access to your um, emerging markets through Belt and Road. So we'll, we'll get out of your way in the Middle East. You can continue with Belt and Road. We want access to those markets. Um, so that's what I thought the arrangement was. Um, but now it looks a little bit to me, like um, uh, the next chapter is something like a, a, a open economic competition between a newly consolidated social scoring West and a now open for business China that's expanding through Belt and Road. I think that is probably like, because you got to imagine it's, it's from um, the, the monopoly on money's point of view you are after growth. That's what you want. It's, and, and that's why it's important to not think of it as a cabal. You're not after, you know, you're af after the maximum uh, productivity and growth of society so that you have somewhere to harvest, uh, 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 you have something to harvest, right? And so you want to frame each chapter by, and competition is a good force for growth, right? So, so instead of just saying, you know, oh, we're letting China win, I don't think it's that. I think it's, it's framing the next chapter in terms of these two, West versus East superpower competing um, with a with a upgraded governance structure of social scoring technocracy. Yeah, yeah, man. I think I think all of the this framework and the ones that we've we've covered, like I do think there's utility in them again for kind of helping to orient yourself in what seems to be like chaos. I of course can't make any claims or have any you know degree of confidence in. The truthfulness of them right because it's so easy to be led astray it's so easily to misperceive things and all that kind of stuff so what i keep coming back to is like you know i can't i don't know right i don't know any, about any of that stuff but what i do know 
is I value truth and freedom. And if I try to optimize for those things in my life, I have a deep and abiding faith that a better world will result, regardless of who is responsible for the current world that I am, let's say, critical of and trying to extricate or, or change, extricate myself from or change in some way. So, you know, I, I, well, that's kind of a lead into saying, man, I, I appreciate your, your work because even though I have that sense, like I appreciate these frameworks and these perspectives because part of that process of, of my trying to perceive truth is, is seeing with clarity, right? This is something I mention all the time, but like if you're genuine, if one of your most genuine pursuits is to, is to pursue truth, then clarifying the lens through which you perceive it all is, is of the utmost importance. And yes. different, different frameworks and different patterns and rhythms that you can, even if only temporarily graft onto a sequence of events can help bestow a certain degree of clarity, which amplifies and enables you to you know, integrate greater truth and then pursue what's most meaningful as a result. So for that reason, you know, I, I appreciate that your voice has kind of come on the scene and the, the insight and the perspective that you've been sharing. Um, and like I said, you know, a little while back, um, let's reconnect over the kind of opt out tools. Give me a, a little time to, mm -hmm. yeah, a little research and, and kind of figure out where the best place to attack it is. And then we can reconvene and, and really go through it so that we can, you know, maybe even present something that's kind of low hanging fruit to be like, step one, you know, this is what to do, how to do it, and what to expect as a result. Yeah, I love it. John, I appreciate you. And to your viewers, I'd say, um, you know, building a thesis as to what's happening in the world is, is useful so, insofar that it, it, can, it, it basically informs that you, you can opt out of what's happening. So if you know the shape of it, you can merely not enter into the, the, the system that's being constructed. And so right. uh, in the way that Bitcoin uh, brings asymmetric defense to uh, your money, you can bring that to other parts of your life. You know, I mentioned ancestral health and sun and, and lifting and, you know, people doing, that's the same thing. You can do that digitally with your digital services. And um, you could do that with where you are physically, where you live, right? That has a huge impact on your lived experience and what systems are you supporting with your energy, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, it's fun to, you know, don't get too drawn into the speculating and sort of the adrenaline rush of the doom scrolling, because recognize adrenaline is a drug, just like you can get addicted to dopamine, uh, for things that give you like a little bit of pleasure. Um, you can get addicted to fear through adrenaline. So doom scrolling is actually addictive. The whole purpose of, of my spreading this thesis is to empower you that, you know what, you actually can opt out, you can become unstoppable, you can help this peaceful um, uh, renaissance occur. And, and uh, yeah, and, and it's to, it, you know, go through the paces and enjoy it and, and, and experience it together and realize we're so much more powerful than we realize. And, uh, and a lot of that is due to Bitcoin, but it solves the money, everything else is up to us. Extremely well put, man, extremely well put. Um, thank you. And we'll, we'll do this again sometime soon, man. All right, fam. Thanks. All right, brother. Take care.